Welcome to Socialism for All. Today's date is December 21st, 2023. Um, it's around about the time of the solstice. I don't know if today is actually the solstice or not. Sometimes it's a different day. But anyway, roughly the darkest day of the year. And uh, it's all uphill from here, at least until uh, the summer. At least if you're in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. Southern Hemisphere, it's going to be reversed. But yeah, we're here on twitch.tv slash socialismsforA recording our weekly live stream. Once in a while we skip a week, and once in a while we do two in a week, but usually these are recorded Thursdays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. UTC. For now, the UTC changes uh, in relation to the U.S.'s uh, daylight savings. But anyway, right now it's 9 p.m. UTC for our friends uh, across the pond, as they say. All right, anyway... Uh, yeah, let's, before we do anything else, thank the patrons. So, patreon.com slash socialismforall and buymeacoffee.com slash socialismforall are two avenues where you can get your name on the screen by chipping in a few bucks. This channel is non-commercial. We don't run ads. We don't do sponsorships. It is viewer-supported. And as you can see, we have a lot of viewer support. Uh, the names in colors indicate the number of years that they've been supporting. Blue are over three years. Green are over two years. Yellow is over one year of support, and um, there's been a lot. I love to see it. I would make content even if nobody gave, but, but I wouldn't be able to spend this much time developing it and you know planning out what we're going to do and just putting in the sheer number of hours every month. So that's been growing with time, and we love to see it. Honestly, for me, I've gotten to know a lot of the patrons. Some of you I just know because your name has been there for a year or two or whatever, and a lot of you I do DM with on one platform or another. Um, happy to have all the community and all the relationships that we have developed through this thing. So appreciate that a lot. Uh, Want to give an extra shout out to the Buy Me A Coffee people who signed up in the last few months. We just got that set up. And that's probably the ideal platform if you want to just do a one-time donation. You can also do recurring donations either on there or on the Patreon. Patreon is kind of more set up as recurring um, although you can technically do a um, one-time, if you sign up, it'll bill you, and then you can just quit. But sometimes they consider that suspicious, and it gets weird. But speaking of that, the Buy Me A Coffee people uh, joined up in the last few months after we did have a major hiccup with Patreon since Resolve. Um, but I put, actually if we go back to the main screen, um, I put Patreon back on the little list of links there that I have as the main screen when we're doing these things. Because um, Buy Me A Coffee doesn't, I don't think, currently support directly uploading content. However, I guess I reached whatever level you have to hit in Patreon where they let you upload video and stuff like that. So if you are a patron, actually I think I have it set to free. So even if you're not a patron um, or you're just following on that new kind of bullshit free tier that they're doing on Patreon, um, we're uploading the videos and blog posts and other stuff directly onto that. So that's another place that you can find these videos. We, of course, started on YouTube almost four years ago, February 2020. We were on Facebook before that, but as far as videos, started on YouTube then. And then since we've spread to SoundCloud and Spotify and Patreon, and actually recently there's a fifth one, Substack. However, there was just a thing recently with Substack, like as in today, where the um, owners, operators of Substack came out in favor of publishing Nazi content so that they could make money out of it. So 
you know, I just spent all the time of setting up over on Substack, and um, suffice to say, it won't be a major um, source of engagement. Again, I'm trying to use all of the backups and redundancy that I can do, so I may keep putting the things there, but it's not going to be a place that, um, you know, I sort of hang out on in terms of going into... Substack has their version of, like, Twitter or Blue Sky or what's the meta threads like you know like a micro blog um quick interaction comment section thing it's called substack notes like i'm not going to be hanging out on that i don't know if i'm going to stop posting on it entirely because again running a channel like this it's not just you know if people aren't running a media outlet um they may just be commenting i have something to promote specifically you know we built this library of audiobooks and uh this library of like streams and and stuff like that so you know i am trying to promote something i may still keep putting out the promotional things on there but that is definitely not going to be and literally just yesterday i was like hey s4a's on substack come follow me here and you know we're up to like 50 people or something like that and then boom you know comes out as like an openly nazi friendly site that's not so good I mean, of course, Elon Musk basically doing the same thing with Twitter. That's why we've stopped using that. Again, I use Twitter in the same way to make announcements and just post links to articles. I don't really go and hang out on it anymore and, um, you know, drive clicks and, and go out on the timeline. I might get some COVID stuff once in a while. I won't get COVID, but I will get COVID information and news from Twitter because there are a lot of people there. However, some of them are also on Blue Sky, which... Uh, as far as hanging out, if you're trying to find me hanging out, you're going to find me on Blue Sky. That is my uh, preferred place. We post all over the place. Reddit, I don't really, I'm not a Redditor, but I post the links. Um, you know, I don't hang out on Reddit. And nothing, you know, I know there's some people in the chat who do. That's totally okay. It's just never been a thing for me specifically. And also, we got the S4A Tumblr back today, which is ridiculous. I, when I was um, doing the most recent round of setting up more links and redundant you know um just expanding the s4a media presence um i opened up a tumblr i was like all right guess i'm on tumblr now and i started copying some of the content from the community posts that we put on youtube over there just as we do on medium and substack and patreon and the other places that that we do those now um really expanding the audience a lot it's great to see but um as i was saying tumblr i posted on it for about two or three weeks and then it disappeared. It was like, this page can no longer be found. I was like, what the fuck? So I wrote to the trust and safety team. I heard back from them literally today. I swear I sent that message two full months ago. Uh, something like that, at least. Like, maybe longer. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Like, I had pretty much given up on the idea that that was going to be a thing. And they were like, oh, so sorry. Looks like this was a mistake. We'll reinstate it. I was like, okay. So anyway, I posted on Tumblr again today. Um <laughs> Got to put the link back in the YouTube uh, list of links. But so, yeah, S4A is on all kinds of places that it wasn't on when we started this almost four years ago. It's really great to see that community expand. I mean, we're on Twitch. We weren't there, you know, uh, before. So you love to see it grow. And again, I've met a lot of great and really caring and concerned people who want to learn about how to fight for a more just society free of exploitation and oppression and uh great to have that community and to partake with you all in studying the history 
and the struggles and the thought and theory of the international communist movement. I mean, the movement for socialism, roughly 200 years old, uh, Marxism, scientific socialism, communism as we know it today, that has been around about 175 years. You know, if you count back to like 1848 in the manifesto, got about 175 years there of uh, Marxism. Of course, Marx and Engels did publish a few things like in the years prior to that, but I would call it about 175 years. There's a lot of history and progression of thought as capitalism has changed to understand and digest. There's been a lot of historical revolutions and attempts at building socialism, some more successful than others. And there's a lot to learn from there. We still have to rid ourselves of capitalism. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I'm just happy to be here facilitating this and um, learning with you all. So, yeah. So we've got 43 people in the chat right now. And I uh, hope I didn't leave any other trains of thought, <laughs> threads hanging there. Uh, but moving on, I think uh, I see a lot building up in the chat. We also have some community posts that... I put up on the YouTube and again, uh, Medium and Substack. I've been like kind of posting them over and Patreon as, as kind of forays into the written realm because it's a lot sometimes to just set up a video and get into that. Uh, but we can review the written posts here in the uh, weekly office hour streams. Um, so yeah, I got a few community posts to look at and there, <clears throat> there was something else I was going to say. Oh, which is upcoming videos. So the things that we have recently put on the channel for videos is, uh, let's see, the disarmament slogan by Lenin. And that is basically, we're currently doing a mini-series on the Sino-Soviet split. This is a big falling out that China and the USSR had after the death of Stalin in the late 50s and through the 60s. So there's a lot of um, thought and debate that came out of this. If you go to Foreign Languages Press, the website is foreignlanguages.press, they do all kinds of Maoist audiobooks and, um, well, sorry, audiobooks. They, actually, they do do in-house audiobooks, but they also make PDFs, so they just do publishing in general, uh, both of free PDFs and low-cost physical books and audiobooks. So, uh, actually, their YouTube channel has very few subscribers, like 300. Um, if you like audiobooks, and, and they produce them pretty well over there as well, um, Foreign Languages Press, look them up on YouTube. They have two channels, one for the audiobooks and I think a general one. But anyway, um, what I was saying about the Sino-Soviet split is they have a two-volume set, I think it's just two volumes and not three, uh, called The Great Debate Documents Pertaining to the Sino-Soviet Split. So there's like thousands of pages in there. We currently are just doing sort of an overview of some key documents that came out of the Sino-Soviet split. Um, basically, the Communist Party of China and the new Soviet leadership under Khrushchev were not getting along. Um, Mao thought that uh, Khrushchev was being revisionist, arguably, I mean, there was a lot of supporting evidence for that. And then uh, Enver Hoxha of Albania joined in with Mao on that. So went the way of China in the Sino-Soviet split and contributed a lot of theory and criticism as well. So we've been covering some of those things. And I've done two things, the Declaration of the Communist and Workers' Parties of the Socialist Countries from 1957, and the Statement of 81 Communist and Workers' Parties from 1960, 
basically these were big international meetings. The Comintern or Communist International no longer existed at that point, but the USSR was still convening kind of an international summit every few years in which the you know various communist and workers parties, both of the socialist countries, including Eastern Europe and you know all the places um, which had had revolutions by the 50s, as well as other um, communist and workers parties of capitalist countries, would get together. But the USSR was kind of dominating it with somewhat revisionist lines. And China, they were trying to resolve this behind the scenes at first, and then came out more openly as the 60s went on about the um, major anti-Marxist-Leninist uh, errors and, and deviations that were being put out by the new Soviet, Soviet leadership. So I'm currently, um, having done that and the disarmament slogan and some Hoja pieces, reject the revisionist theses of the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and the modern revisionists on the way to degenerating into social democrats and fusing with social democracy, as well as Mao's on Khrushchev's phony communism and its historical lessons for the world. That one is about two and a half hours and it's up in two parts because the second part was hidden, otherwise I would have put it all in one part. Thanks again to Flashy for pointing out that there was a part two. Um, I'm currently recording Hoja's, uh, what's the name of it? The uh, demagogy of the Soviet revisionists cannot conceal their traitorous count countenance. Yeah, the man could write a title, whatever else you want to say about him. Uh, solid Marxist-Leninist and uh, excellent title writer. Anyway, after that one, which is from 1969, it gets more into the Brezhnev years. We're going to do the thing that prompted all of this. Uh, Palestine Belongs to Palestinians by Hoja. That got prompted by the genocide that Israel is carrying out in Palestine and the desperate need for people to understand more about anti-colonialism and why people struggle against things like Israel, um, which is just taking over you know, its purpose is to serve as a proxy for imperialism and destabilize the Middle East, prevent, you know, pan-Arabist type of um, unity over there. Although, I mean, Israel's uh, disgusting aggression and genocide has galvanized public opinion in the Arab world against it. Still, though, the political unity um, has not emerged. And, you know, so anyway... The purpose being destabilization and as well as just naked land grab as well, that's happening. Actually, I want to mention one of the commenters was pointing out there is an organization or party, um, the Progressive Labor Party. I guess, you know, we covered um, another group, Politsturm. They have a YouTube channel uh, and some study groups associated with it um, that was doing this weird kind of left com both sides thing in a genocide. You don't want to both sides colonialism. That's not really a thing you want to do. Um, but I guess the Progressive Labor Party, according to the commenters, wasn't able to find the particular statement they were referring to, was making similar errors and even saying things like, it's not about who gets the land. Really? Because I think that that's usually what colonialism is directly about. If it's not about that, literally, what is it, what is it about? So anyway, um, Palestine belongs to Palestinians coming up uh, as the second thing that we'll be doing again right now I'm recording the demagogy of the Soviet revisionists about a third of the way through that and then uh, that should probably be up tomorrow so Friday and then uh, then Palestine belongs to Palestinians uh, maybe it'll be a Christmas miracle uh, <laughs> up on the channel by Monday or so 
All right, so that's what's coming up on the channel. Let's do chat, and then I'll sprinkle in community posts as we go. That I think that works for me. All right. So, 49 people here in the chat. Some people here for the first time. Welcome, everyone, except trolls. And just a reminder, it is pinned in the chat, but don't feed the troll. Tag a mod, Shakespeare, Health Revolt, or Brit. I know Shakespeare is here today. Um, and I want to thank the mods for keeping things moderate, as always. Uh, chat is much better with you here. Appreciate it. Talking about New Zealand, and uh, we covered this a couple streams ago, but New Zealand um, has a far-right government coalition currently in place, and they're doing all kinds of um, horrible policies that uh, we'll be covering in more detail in a future stream, covered in some detail already. Yeah, and commenters saying everyone thinks New Zealand is a uh, paradise. It's actually a capitalist shithole. And talking about how a lot of other New Zealand users of Twitter and Blue Sky have blocked them because they don't like what they have to say about, you know, being concerned about rising crypto fascism, fascism, libertarianism in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, my thought on that is I don't know that much about New Zealand culture, so I can't comment on it, comment on it directly. But I got to think that that is probably part of how the far right rises in the first place is people turning a blind eye to it. Obviously, they're also backed by billionaire money. But, um, you know, when people don't resist effectively, that just makes it that much easier. Anyone else hear about the, quote, new country that dipshitarians are trying to create? I have not. Liberland? Liberland. All right. I am going to look that up. I mean, libertarians in the U.S. already have... Oh, I have heard of this, actually. Libertarians in the U.S. already have the Free State Project, where they're all trying to take over New Hampshire... So Liberland, also known as the Free Republic of Liberland, is an unrecognized micronation in Southeast Europe, claiming an uninhabited parcel of disputed land on the western bank of the Danube between Croatia and Serbia. It was proclaimed on 13 April 2015 by the Czech right libertarian politician and activist Vitjedlisha Lishka. Yeah, so basically there's a border dispute and there's a piece of disputed land and so uh, some libertarian fucking person is trying to claim it and found some, you know, capitalist paradise. It's, um, they do this occasionally. I mean, there's also the whole, like, I will buy an island and set up like a libertarian, you know, slavery hellhole on it or just set up some kind of like, you know, aircraft carrier moving island kind of thing. Um, I mean, these are just the dreams of tyrants, basically. <laughs> when you were saying a while back that the Patreon got put on hold for several weeks because of a suspicious donor, 
I was thinking, damn, S4A must have a fan in the NPA or something. I think, I think, it's because there was somebody who was contributing at the $100 level for like six months, and then they dropped down to five. And first of all, I deeply appreciate their support. I don't know the person at all. I just like know their username. And they're still a supporter. And I appreciate all that support. But I guess whatever money they had ran out, and so they dropped down to the $5 level. Totally fine, and... If they had to drop out completely, I appreciate the support that they did give. Uh, but Patreon sometimes considers that suspicious. In fact, they explicitly describe a scenario like that, where somebody contributes at a high level and then drops down to a low level, as suspicious. And it's because, you know, as a platform and like a sort of pseudo-banking situation, they are responsible under the U.S.'s very strict post-Patriot um, Act era uh, legislation for, you know, like money laundering and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so it's like, I get it that they're liable for that. But on the other hand, it's complete bullshit. Like, there's so many valid scenarios that would get flagged falsely um, as money laundering that, yeah. So, um, and also, I still have no, you have no way really to appeal it because it all happens on Patreon side. Like, you don't see any of the numbers. You don't see who that user is. I have no idea what country that person was from, nothing. And, but, you know, they're like, oh, well, you could be in cahoots with them. And it's like, I have no way to defend myself against that because I have no access to, like, the information that they used in that decision-making process. So, not a great system. Um, definitely could stand some improvement. Again, at the same time, I understand the laws they have to operate under are pretty strict. I just think there's got to be a better way to handle this. So, Anyway, um, S4A is hands down one of the best channels, top of the top. Well, I, I appreciate that. I've worked really hard on it. And I know a lot of the other people who have been regular listeners and contributors and commenters probably feel some sense of pride in that as well because they have all sent in links and and helped shape this thing into what it is so uh yeah just trying to keep it you know moving forward don't really suffer fools in the comments either you know we moderate the comments and you know sometimes people's comments get published and sometimes they don't um it doesn't mean that you're banned necessarily if one of your comments doesn't show up it's just kind of like letters to the editor you know some now technically we have infinite space on youtube but i do like to keep the discussion kind of focused so just don't want people to like hold a grudge if one particular comment doesn't get posted although speaking of comments and things that i would or wouldn't publish that just reminded me i forgot about it before sitting down to the stream i have to read this um i wound up getting into an argument with this person and um just deleting the whole thing but i they, i couldn't believe they've actually posted this Hi, I've subbed, but I thought I'd say I'm one of those people that watches too much YouTube and video introductions, even if they're only 30 seconds, end up taking up minutes a day. <laughs> Can you hear yourself? Anyway, I'm losing minutes a day to video introductions. Okay, well, now I might counter this by saying, well, I have put up timestamps, but they're way ahead of me. I appreciate your timestamps. But fast-forwarding is also a pain on the telly. Are you fucking kidding me? Jumping to the timestamp is too much work for you? 
Anyway, I appreciate videos that jump straight into the title. Any speech you have could be at the end. Cheers. They re then wrote this like 10 page long screed of sort of random um, pseudo-libertarian, semi-progressive stuff about the tax system and whatever. And I was like, anyway, I, I had this comment. I was staring at it in the moderation queue for a while. And I was like, what do I do with this? And after, you know, five or six days, I finally just published it and I responded. And I was like, you know, I quoted this section and I was like, I'm telling you this to help you get your life right. Like, it is time to get your life right. And um, obviously, like I said, that's somewhat tongue in cheek, but it's like, I mean, really, you're, you're complaining just wild. And then um, they got super like nasty and bitter about it. And it was like, well, you know, you're doing your subscribers a disservice by giving them historical context. And I was just like, all right, it's time to go. They started getting into like, I'm giving you this to uh, to help you evolve as a person. And I was just like, maybe it's time for you to fucking evolve as a person. Use those timestamps. So anyway, I thought that was amusing. Um, there's a stand-up comedy bit uh, where the comedian's like, Hey, have you guys seen the uh, peanut butter and jelly in the same jar? <laughs> now, I'm lazy, but I want to meet the person that needs that. Anyway, I think I met that person. So, anyway, Brian Regan, by the way, thank you. Uh, uh, people gave me so much crap for criticizing Hakeem for running ads, and I really appreciate that you don't. Yeah, I don't think they belong anywhere near communist content. People really don't seem to understand why ads are bad anymore. Yeah. Even when you run ads, the YouTube and the company benefit more than you, the channel, do. So That really sucks about Substack. I have a Substack as well, but I'm thinking of moving my stuff. Yeah, I will say that uh, the, the Substack account has more followers. I've been posting all the same stuff on Medium and Substack. The Medium has 9 subscribers, while the Substack has about 50. So... Definitely the Substack grew a lot faster than the Medium. I don't know exactly why. I've been giving them roughly the same amount of promotion, but uh, I don't know. I mean, there's downsides to Medium too, but um, I'm not sure that like openly embracing Nazism is uh, necessarily one of, one of them. Shitstack, absolutely. Still COVID free, four years going. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah, I um, I got a booster shot recently. I gotta tell you, even the booster shot took it out of me for, like, multiple days. Like, I was wondering if I was sick. It kind of hit me that hard. So I can only imagine, if I were to actually get it, how hard I would get hit. Like, just the booster kind of knocked me on my ass for multiple days in a row. And, like, I felt sick. Like, I fully felt sick. It wasn't just, like, when I got the original shots... It was like for 24 hours, I felt maybe like slightly lightheaded, sore arm. The irony of the booster shot was, um, and this is not my first booster either. Um, the irony of the booster shot, my arm wasn't sore, but like I actually felt as sick as I have felt in a while. And it was multiple days. Um, but yeah, again, if I had that to the shot, which now, you know, my immune response is topped up. I can only imagine what would have happened, um... Had I caught whatever variants going around, was it like HV1? There's a couple of them. 
one is about to overtake another and I think drive another stream. Um, I was actually just commenting uh, in a DM back and forth with a uh, with a patron who is, uh, you know, has immune compromise, uh, immune dysfunction, um, is, is an immune compromised person. And we're talking about COVID and how they appreciate the COVID content. And I haven't done as much with the COVID dives into like articles about what it does to you and this and that. I've kind of just, you know, done the weekly wastewater update. We had a long lull this year. People were taking it less seriously than ever, but it's back in force. In fact, um, might as well just go right into the uh, community post that is the weekly COVID update. So this is what we put up on the um, YouTube community uh, tab. Weekly COVID-19 wastewater update, Northeast USA, you can see that down at the bottom by region, is experiencing a dramatic upward surge. The Northeast is well over 1,000. By the time you're at 700, 750, you're into a surge. Like that is a pretty significant amount of COVID. The Northeast is roughly double that. And of course, this varies a bit by state and exact county and city location. But overall, the Northeast has very, very high levels of SARS-2 showing up in the wastewater because you get infected with it, it replicates in your body, and then you excrete it in, into the wastewater. Not everybody, um, you know, some people have like private septic and stuff like that. That obviously doesn't get monitored. But for the wastewater that is monitored, huge, huge amounts showing up in the Northeast. The Midwest was leading it. However, that is kind of leveled off with a slight decline, but still over a thousand copies. Very big surge going on in the Midwest as well. And the um, West and Southeast uh, are moderately high. They're a little over 500 and slowly climbing. So not a huge surge, but still an appreciable amount of spread. Anyway, COVID is not over. Mask up. N95, N99, KN95, P100. You need a good mask that is technically a respirator, not just a cloth mask, not just a surgical mask, but one that actually forms a seal around your mouth, such as an N95 or a KN95 if those fit. I find for me the KN95s don't um, make a good seal. Those usually have the ear loops rather than the head straps. Um, so for me, I usually stick with an N95 or a P100. Sometimes if there's like extra um, KN95s, like I might use those in an outdoor setting or something like that. They're a little easier to take on and off. And if I'm not in a crowd of people, you know, but just on a walk somewhere and there, I might encounter, you know, just a few people over the course of like an hour. Um, you know, I might use that while also kind of still, I still hold my breath as I walk past people, honestly. But um, yeah, anyway, I don't get as good of a seal on the KN95s, long story short, but you need to mask up, avoid crowds. And of course there's, a big super spreader event coming up with the holiday next week. Uh, many people will be celebrating and also taking airline flights and other kinds of mass transit. And, you know, this is why there's always, usually the peak is January 1st and then it declines from there. I mean, this could be the first year where that's different. So we don't really know yet, but there is a lot of COVID going on. Anyway, as I was, uh, talking with this patron about that, kind of took a break for the last six months or so on the COVID content. I was getting super burned out on it. And also I felt like most of the articles that I was reading, even the new ones, were kind of just reiterating what I already knew, 
like COVID causes heart attacks, causes heart damage, and then the incidence of heart attacks goes way up after COVID surges. You look at the number of famous people whose deaths make the news who were in their 50s or maybe early 60s, and like uh, Coolio comes to mind, where it wasn't confirmed that he had a COVID-related heart attack, but he got extremely sick with something, and he was like in his 50s, like his, his mid to late 50s, and he got really sick with something, it made his asthma really bad, so lung function impairment, that sounds a lot like COVID, also we had a shit ton of COVID circulating in 2022 when this happened, and then a couple months after that, heart attack. I know somebody personally who um, was about 40 years old and, you know, not in the greatest shape, um, not, you know, overweight, not morbidly obese, but like, you know, in the heavier category, which is a risk factor, which incidentally, if you're in that category, you're not alone because about almost three quarters of the U.S. population is either overweight or obese. So, and that's just as measured by body mass index, but it's very, very prevalent in other words. And, um, Anyway, yeah, so they were a bit on the heavier side, which is already a risk factor for, like, heart health. But they got COVID, and they got a heart attack at 40 just a few months after that. So this is what COVID does. It causes all kind of vascular, cardiac, circulatory damage in general, as well as, you know, depending on where it uh, really takes up residence in your body, gastrointestinal or digestive damage, liver damage, kidney damage, brain damage, lung damage, all kinds of stuff. So... You know, I found that reading the articles, I was just kind of covering the same ground over and over again. I just decided to take a break. We will um, refresh people on that. You know, cause there's, I mean, for if no other reason, there's a lot of new subscribers. Every month we get between five and 600 people um, following the YouTube. And um, welcome. <laughs> welcome again, first of all. But, you know, just want to repeat that information for people because... As we get further away from the public health emergency and the general COVID emergency that was officially formally ended by the Biden government and the Congress and all that uh, back in May this year, as we get further out from that and deeper into denial world, we really do need to rely on each other to constructively remind each other, mask up, COVID is not over, you got to protect yourself. Another major thing that COVID does is attacks your immune system. This is really um, bad because it has a cascade effect then by attacking your T cells, which is a major pillar of your immune system. T cells go out and attack pathogens, you know, thing, bugs that infect you, whether they're bacteria or whatever. Um, you need your T cells as part of your, um, your major immune defense, but it's not just pathogens. It also will go after cancer in your body you know, when cells um, start to multiply in the wrong way to form a cancer, the T cells will come over and shut it down. But if your T cells are depleted or drained, you know, worn out from a COVID infection, that cancer might keep growing. So that's not a good thing at all. And incidentally, when people were, I saw some very good discussion on Twitter about people, um, pointing out the fact that some of the COVID deniers, when it was pointed out that COVID had HIV-like effects in terms of attacking and killing T-cells, 
people were um, trying to naysay this by saying, well, if that were the case, then we would see the rise of opportunistic other infections of like more common pathogens gaining ground that they normally wouldn't. And we haven't seen that. Well, we did see that. What do you mean we haven't seen that? We've seen exactly that with the big RSV thing last year. And there's been less about it in the news, but there was like a really big RSV surge last year. RSV is always a thing. It's usually not nearly as serious as it was last year. So was that a result of COVID-induced immune dysfunction? I think it's a likely hypothesis to be checked into. And then what's happening now with this white lung pneumonia that is in China and Ohio and some other places? Well, they say that the pathogens, the actual organisms causing it, are routine, run-of-the-mill um, things that you would find any year. But this year, they're gaining ground. Why? Is it COVID-induced immune dysfunction? I think it's, again, a likely hypothesis. So that's exactly what we're seeing, um, you know, anyway. And somebody else was posting about their COVID infection, saying that my COVID infection was mild. I didn't really experience direct, severe effects from COVID. However, what really did concern me was in the following months, when I got a big fungal infection, apropos of nothing, and the doctors reviewing my um, blood work and other test results said they were wondering if I had HIV, which they didn't. <laughs> but that was some of the changes that the COVID infection was causing. And so when we talk about long COVID and chronic issues resulting from it and organ damage and immune dysfunction, these are things to be taken really seriously. I had a really bad COVID infection the first year before the vaccines were available, I was really careful all year. And then this one time in December, I went out and I was like, I've been really careful. And it was just a complete shitstorm. Like I went to this place I thought was going to be okay. And it was like a nightmare just before I knew it. I was like swamped by people who just weren't masking. And I was like, I couldn't get out of there. I was just caught in this crowd. Well, I got COVID. And I spent the next 11 months severely fatigued. And also I got the worst sinus infection of my life. I had to go in two rounds of antibiotics for it. I don't think that's a coincidence because the number of sinus infections I've gotten that let alone ones that I'm trying to think of any, but let alone the number of sinus infections that required me to go on one course of antibiotics, let alone two, zero that I can recall in like the last 10 years. Yet somehow when I'm struggling with COVID and it's completely wearing me out, I get the biggest sinus infection of my life didn't go away with until the second round of antibiotics. So take this thing seriously. It can do all kinds of harmful things to you. All right, let's go back into the chat. Oh, you know what? And actually speaking of cool stuff I found related to COVID on Twitter, this is from Tern, T-E-R-N, and this is a poster out of the UK who put together this great chart of UK COVID data. So this is titled Waves, Variants, Lockdowns, Vaccines, and Stuff, Variant Data from COV Spectrum, and then the hospital and vaccine data in the chart are from the UK government. So basically what they've done is a timeline of the pandemic with all kinds of data overlaid. So at the top, 
it shows when different variants came in, whether it was the original wave, the alpha wave, the delta wave, BA1 or the original Omicron, BA2, BA5, and XBB. Um, so you can see where that happened. And then you can see the overall peaks in the wastewater. And then you can see where mitigations and protections were in place and where they weren't, um, when vaccinations and boosters were rolled out. And I think that huge, in look at alpha on slightly the left side of the chart, about a third of the way in from the left. Um, second up from the bottom is vaccinations and boosters. So when the first vaccination campaign rolled out, look what it did to alpha, just cut it way, way, way down. Then we had a lull and then, you know, it came back with a vengeance, particularly because what was going on in the mitigations and protections uh, row right above it, green, no mitigations or protections. And then time of year just shows the season down at the bottom. Anyway, uh, hats off to Turn, who posts about COVID 24-7. Thought this was a, a very good chart. All right, let's get back into the chat. I went to graduate school with the owner of Substack. He is just a run-of-the-mill opportunist liberal without any real ideological commitments. So in other words, uh, the same kind of people who let the original Nazis rise to power just because they thought, you know, their system would keep rolling along. I'm thinking of getting back into Tumblr. I was, I was there for queer content, uh, but this stuff would be welcomed. Yeah, I mean, um, there was, let me see if I can find it. On Blue Sky, somebody put up a post. Okay, yeah, so this was posted, like, early on Blue Sky. Um, I don't know, if, this looks like it's actually from a coloring book, but anyway. It's um, from The Little Mermaid. My top surgery went really well. That's great. My bottom surgery is next week. I can't believe we're both goth and trans. And then uh, the crab is saying, uh, <laughs> saying, I'm a communist. And I said, I'm the crab. Because that truly was how it felt on Blue Sky in the first couple of months. It was like, that was the conversation always happening. And I was like, I, I'm a communist. So that was very accurate. Anyway, there are good things happening online. You just kind of have to know where to look. Okay. I'm finding the current material, as in the videos being posted on the channel, about revisionism pretty interesting. I really want to learn more about communist history, but it's hard for me to find historians who aren't biased towards capitalism. Yeah, we'll be doing a lot more of this kind of later 20th century anti-revisionist content, whether it is anti-revisionist with respect to the USSR or anti-revisionist with and the USSR and its satellites, which were oftentimes also revisionist. Um, so like in the one that I'm recording now from 1969 by Hoja, um, the demagogy of the Soviet revisionists. That one goes into um, the other revisionist parties. In other words, the USSR and the CPSU set the tone for international modern revisionism, but they weren't the only ones that ended up towing that line. Like, obviously, the Communist Party of China and Party of Labor of Albania did rebel against this, but a lot of the other parties were right there um, supporting it and following in its wake. So... You know, I mean, and there are material reasons for that in terms of uh, the USSR had a lot of resources to be shared, and maybe some of these parties didn't necessarily want to speak up because they needed the funding or whatever. But um, anyway, it's it is a tragedy that the USSR um, did did experience that turn in the leadership, 
anyway, um, it is interesting. I agree. We're going to continue on that. I was looking into doing a Bill Bland audio called The Restoration of Capitalism in the USSR from 1980, which goes into some more of the changes. I've been told that Bill Bland is a not the best source because I... And I don't know in what things he's accused of having done this, but he's accused of having fabricated quotes um, in, in some places. I'll see if I can, if anybody has details on that, let me know, because I don't want to be doing things that, you know, is fabricating quotes. That's not, not quality research, to say the least. Um, but it was interesting because it got into the removing of price controls and things like that in the Soviet Union in the 60s and 70s. So... I'll be looking into doing that. But yeah, there is more. The problem, a lot of people will ask for history books about the Soviet Union or whatever, and a lot of them are not in the public domain, so I can't really easily do them on the channel. So, But I agree, it's uh, we'll be doing more of this. Now that we've covered the basics, you know, we've read a hundred Lenin audiobooks, pretty familiar with what Lenin had to say. Uh, we'll be covering more of the foundations of Marx and Engels. We've already done a lot. But now that you know we've laid out 370 audiobooks or whatever, uh, we got the foundations pretty well covered. We can now independently go out and evaluate some of these things. And, um, you know, what is revisionist? What isn't? Well, we've done the reading now, so we know. You know, for me, four years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do this at all. And today it's not as bewildering because we've done those foundational readings. And now we can go on into the more advanced topics. All right. Welcome, Neighbor 3. It's always about land. Yeah, I mean, literally, it's always about land. I think that was Malcolm X's conclusion as well. Oh, okay. Um, yes, I see proletarian power the link to the PLP statement. Yeah, if you can send it here, that would be good. I didn't see it in the comments, so. There was a town in New Hampshire that developed a huge problem with black bears because of libertarians. Let me see if I can find a link. How a New Hampshire, so this article on Vox, how a New Hampshire libertarian utopia was foiled by bears. Seriously, this happened. You should read about it. Comrade Bear, for sure. Every ideology produces its own brand of fanatics, but there's something special about libertarianism. For the most part, I love libertarians. They're fun and interesting people. Next. All right. I'll take a look at that article later. Uh, libertarians are not the brightest folks. background noise there's something missing in them it's called empathy and uh, they come up with all kinds of wild statements as a result of that deficiency reading through the chat here Please keep having intros. Literally no one relates to that person. Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell them. I'm like, you know, I've been running this channel for about four years and we're up around 19,000 subscribers on the YouTube, 
alone, plus the other places where people are subscribed. He's like, oh yeah, well maybe you'd have 20,000 by now. Did you ever think of that? Just like, logic, not the strong suit. Do you have any insight or opinions on the multiplicity of factions that make up the left, like most aspects of the DSA, Marxist Unity Group, Red Star, Red Label? So yeah, there's a lot of different caucuses within DSA. I haven't had extensive contact with them. Um, let me take a look at something now that you brought that up. There's a thing somebody sent in and I keep meaning to go back. I think a lot of them are Trotskyist, but they'll be like quietly Trotskyist. Like you have to really dig to like figure out eventually that they are um, Trotskyist. I can't find the link now. So no, I do not have um, strong insights or opinion into that, but if anybody has more things they can send, um, I would be happy to look at it. Uh, okay, so we found the Progressive Labor Party statement. Editorial. Oh, God, this is um, crap, is what this is. There was, a, actually, this is reminding me, there's another, I think, Bordigist party. International Communist Party. Here we go. Join the Revolutionary Communist Progressive Labor Party. Editorial. This is from October 19, so while the genocide was underway. Gaza genocide. No nations. Only communist liberation. I mean, you're failing out of the gate with that title. Um... Alliances with bosses anywhere are deadly for workers. Did anarchists write this? What is this? The only way out is communist revolution. Again, apparently these people have never heard of national liberation struggles. I, I don't know what to say at this point. Yes, I'm no anti-vaxxer, but the COVID shots always hit me hard, harder than any other shot I've ever gotten. Honestly, I have had several of them. Um, the first two, again, like mild arm soreness for like 24 hours. That was about it. Like that I got my first booster. Um, I don't recall anything after my first booster. I got some other boosters after that literally had no symptoms whatsoever for the next two. And then, um, I got m more on this one than I, than I had probably of all the other ones combined. So it is a reformulated strain. I don't know if, you know, it's a different, if the differences in the spike, um, you know, just hit me harder, but wow, is that stuff not good. I'm getting my booster next week. It's going to kick my ass. I mean, I was doing the whole thing of like rest, fluids. I was like, it probably took four, over four days for it to run its full course. I think on the fifth day, I was like completely better again, but yeah. Glad I did it, though, because, you know, for all the um, anti-vaxxers who are like, uh, oh, it's got the spike protein in it. Yeah, you know what else has more of the spike protein? The virus. So if you just get hit with the virus, you're completely unprepared, and it's a much more massive dose of it. The whole idea of the vaccine is you get a small amount of not the virus, which infects your cells, but just the spike, and then your body figures out how to deal with it. And then if you do get hit with the virus, which is, you know, more active force, um, your body will be able to neutralize it more quickly. That works. It's effective. Um, 
But yeah, again, plan A is always don't get infected. Plan A in N95 we trust, but you also have to stay up on your uh, booster shots as plan B because things happen. You know, straps break, there's mask failures. Sometimes somebody coughs right in your eye. You know, you can still get infected even if you're wearing an N95. It's just, they do offer very good protection. And I, I wear one or even a P100 every time that I go somewhere. But, um, you know, they're not absolutely perfect. Um, again, sometimes you can get uh, a break in the seal around your face or the strap breaks or, again, somebody coughs right in your eye or something. But, um, yeah, plan A, an N95 we trust and we do. Plan B, stay up to date on your vaccines just in case. Here's one of the Progressive Labor Party statements on Palestine. Either I can't find the original one I was talking about, or they removed the really shitty line about, quote, the question is not about who owns the land. Either way, the statement is not great and takes a both sides approach. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that in colonialism. <laughs> you can't do that. Avoided COVID in prison somehow. Actively have it now, though. Sorry to hear you guys are lucky in the U.S. Here in the U.K., we stopped testing and wastewater monitoring. Yeah, they definitely don't count the cases anymore. So the testing, that is, I mean, you can still get tests, but you have to pay for them. And um, now people may say, oh, I, I can get rapid tests somewhere. Yeah, the rapid tests are not what I'm talking about. Those also don't get reported unless you report them yourself. But putting the um, Biobot thing back up for a second... So on the top chart, the blue one, you see where it's kind of like aquamarine or teal underneath the blue line? Well, the blue line is the average of the wastewater. That greenish color, seafoam, I don't know, uh, that's the amount of cases, that shaded area underneath the curve. And you notice how it drops off in 2022, and now it is non-existent. People are like, oh, there's no more cases. No, dumbass, they're just not counting them. And, like, I see this all the time. People are like, oh, there's no more cases of COVID. Yeah, I mean, this is the ostrich approach to cases. If you don't count them, they're not there. They don't exist, obviously. Um, I mean, Trump was ridiculed for making a statement like that. People are now, unironically, earnestly pursuing uh, that sort of uh, logic because it suits their back-to-normal obsession. Back-to-normal is just a form of denialism. The situation is not normal. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what to say, but yeah, they definitely stopped counting cases in the U.S. because the PCR tests, the ones that were actually getting reported and are the most reliable, they stopped giving those out for free. You can still get them, but it'll cost you like 120, 150 dollars. And then the rapid tests. Um, well, we showed this before. I'll I'll show it again. Um, This demonstrates some of the issues with the rapid antigen tests, which is the third column there, sensitivity. Um, you can see that the sensitivity of the test really only starts getting above 50% on day five, and then it gets over 80% days six through eight, and then you know it stays high days nine, 10, and uh, 11. But infectiousness, tends to peak on days three, four, five, six, seven, thereabouts. And so you're infectious long before you will get a positive result on the rapid test. And then symptom onset, 
like where people are like, oh, I'm, I'm getting symptoms. I must be sick. I should test. Well, that's happening several days before the rapid test is most likely to pick it up. So those are problems with that. I got this off of Twitter, by the way. Um, for people who are interested in this, let me see if I can just read out the link. So the post is from January 17, 2023. The poster is at J-G-O-W-N-D-E-R, J Gounder. And their actual name is J.P. Gounder. Again, that's at J Gounder, J-G-O-W-N-D-E-R. The post itself says, if you want to search on this text, rapid antigen tests, parentheses, RATs, and parentheses, aren't picking up the latest variants until days 5 through 11, third column below. That's where I got this from. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. Not a good situation. So, news from the UN, the WHO designates the JN1 variant of interest amid sharp rise in global spread. Now, we have overall a shape of the curve that's very similar to the shape of the curve in 2021. At the end of 2021, we got Omicron. Is JN1 going to be a new Omicron? I hope not. Is it possible? Yes. Global capitalism is really the same shit with different color flags. How old was Coolio? Let's see. Coolio's cause of death explained. Yeah, I somehow think they're not going to mention COVID. This page no longer exists. What? Coolio. Why is it so hard to get quality information about Coolio? He was 59, it looks like to me. Yeah, Coolio was 59 when he died. He was born August 1963, died September 2022. I post COVID awareness stuff sometimes on Facebook, and it's always crickets when I do. Facebook, I gotta say, you know, S4A started out on Facebook. I never miss it, even slightly. Boomerville. Oh, the, um, the YouTube channel that does Maoist audiobooks, Foreign Languages Press. Same one that puts out those uh, PDFs and stuff. Cardiac and neurological events have gone up by about 60% since the beginning of the pandemic. In the last three months, one person in my complex has had a seizure and another a heart attack and another some breathing issues. This many health events isn't normal. Yeah, there's a person in the chat right now who has mentioned to me that they developed seizures after getting COVID. And that, that is, if you look up long COVID, that is definitely a noted symptom. I found the data report channel through you, and he does a great job covering it on a daily basis. Yes, I appreciate data report immensely. Yeah, he, he, he's dedicated, has attracted a big following on Twitter. And I will say there are certain things he reports that, you know, he mentions he's not a trained statistician. And there are sometimes he reports stuff like particularly with test positivity, where I think that the percentages up or down, it's not necessarily worth reporting because the um, it was like single digits numbers of cases. So it's throwing the percentage way off and making it look kind of, you know, worse or better than it looks. Based on that, um, 
so I think sometimes, you know, his lack of training and statistics, like, trips him up a little bit. Overall, though, very solid channel. And just good reminders that, you know, take the thing seriously. I always appreciate that. And um, he's not a socialist, as far as I know. But I appreciate the consistent COVID content. So, thumbs up to Data Report. The sheer amount of different problems that COVID can cause is insane. Yeah, the issue is that COVID, the SARS coronavirus 2 um, pathogen, it can infect any tissue that has ACE2 receptors in your body, which is basically all your major organs. So it has a portal, uh, a key that it can unlock in many of your most important tissues. So yeah, it can get into all kinds of places in your body that you don't want it to go. I've had COVID once and I'm not having a good time. Heart issues, tremors, memory problems, and worse. I'm actually on PrEP to try to help the T-cell issue. What is PrEP? COVID is what made me realize, finally, the Democrats are no better than Republicans. Yeah, Democrats are actually trying to take credit for some of this shit going on, calling it Bidenomics. Mind-blowing. Um, because I watched that issue carefully and noticed that they were just as bullshit, but just using more polite language. I think it can be very constructive for your political education to take a single issue and follow both parties' action on it. Yeah, for me, it was like the war on terror, 9-11, stuff like that. They were fucking identical on it, really, uh, back in the Bush-Cheney years. So that was when I was realizing there's not a big difference, and... Yeah, I mean, they're playing to different bases. Um, the Republican base, more socially conservative. The Republican leadership, more openly hostile and tyrannical in their messaging. In the end, they're basically funded by the same basic interests. So, you know, they end up... It's As I like to say, it's good cop, bad cop. They have different approaches because that's part of the mindfuck. That's part of the game that they're running on you. It's part of the con. But they're both employed by the same police uh you know police department and they are both working for the same purpose busting you so you know don't be fooled that one of them roughs you up and yells in your face while the other one gets you a candy bar and a glass of water they are both there they're a team they work together democrats first took power in 1828 the system belongs to them as much as it belongs to anyone and actually speaking of that's a good segue into some of the other community posts that we have um, up. So first of all, this one. We've talked a lot about the housing crisis that's going on in the U.S. In short, um, housing sales are frozen. Very few market transactions happening because prices are incredibly high, uh, basically unaffordable, and now they're jacking up mortgage rates as well. So not only is the base price of the house way too high, that basically to get the median house which is about $400,000, you have to be at like ni the 90th percentile for income. So the median income does not get the median house, not even close. And inventory overall, like the reason the prices are so high is because there's very few houses on the market for sale. Investors have bought these things up in large swaths, just tracts of housing being bought up, and then they're sitting on them vacant, losing money, you know, they're paying the property tax, they're paying the interest on the loan, and they're just trying to either sell them or rent them out at insanely inflated prices. And it's just causing people to sit on the sidelines. Um, you know, it's they're just sitting on vacant property. So anyway, 
this was an article that appeared in Truth Out. The title is Democrats Introduce Bill Banning Hedge Funds from Owning Single-Family Homes. The bill would force hedge funds to sell all of their single-family housing stock over the next 10 years. Wow. So that sounds like it's doing something, but is it? Well, here's what I had to say about it, because I have been following this issue closely. Um, let's dig into the text that I had here. Democrats' bill to ban hedge fund investors from single-family real estate is a classic case of too little too late, with the added insult of political sleight of hand designed to win politicians' credit for an economic trend already underway, a trend which many of the same politicians stood by and allowed to develop in the first place. As Truthout reported recently, quote, the End Hedge Fund Control of American Homes Act of 2023 was introduced by Representative Adam Smith, D. Washington, and Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat from Oregon, unquote. The two lawmakers cited price distortions caused in part by corporate landlords entering certain markets in droves, price distortions which have resulted in the near total paralysis of the U.S. housing market, with housing transactions still at a low percentage, and I would add it's about 40% of pre-pandemic levels. So like you can see this in some markets, some markets have recovered, like there's in Texas, they're in some places above the long-term average of number of units on the market for sale. In some places, it's only 10% below what it usually is, but particularly in the Midwest and in the Northeast, You've got states that are 40, 50, 60% lower than the long-term average. There's just nothing up for sale. But is this bill really the kind of fix that's needed? Like, it sounds good. Oh, we're going to ban hedge funds. Okay. I mean, no argument here, but is that really going to fix the problem? So it's true that large publicly traded companies have made inroads into single-family real estate properties in the past decade in some areas taking advantage of lower house prices and lower interest loans. Because remember, after 2008, they cut the interest rates to like zero to try to stimulate the economy again. And then they go out and buy up and either flip or attempt to rent out these properties at inflated rates. However, the largest size investment groups, which are the ones which would be targeted by this bill, account for less than 1% of the overall housing stock of the U.S. So they don't actually own that much with smaller investors actually having been responsible for most of the problems. It's more of like the mom and pop or just kind of, you know, individual that's like, oh, I just bought 10, 15 places and I'm, I'm going to be, some, you know, the next libertarian multimillionaire or whatever. Those are, kind of, those are the kind of people that have actually caused uh, more of the actual problem. As with so many things in capitalism, these effects don't occur evenly across all demographics and geographic areas. So in certain regions and cities in the U.S., the larger investors targeted by the bill do account for a much higher percentage of the properties currently being held for ransom, which is where this legislation could have more of an impact. So there are some cities where the hedge funds do own a larger proportion, larger percentage of the properties. There, this could make some difference. In most places, it, it probably won't. However, the bill, if it were to pass, also gives the affected firms 10 years to divest themselves of these properties. Basically, if I understand it right, they have to sell 10% of their portfolio every year for 10 years. Well, guess what? We're entering a downturn. They were about to do that anyway. So first of all, that's a laughably long period of time for changes 
you know, to go into effect, given the way that the housing market moves and how desperately relief is needed right now. Like, the people who are currently living in tent cities, this doesn't really do anything for them at all. Um, additionally, many of these large firms are already making moves to sell off these properties as interest rates rise. A price crash then looms on the horizon, and their money can get better return on investment outside of real estate. So 10 years from now, even without this legislation, many of them may already have left on their own due purely to economic motivations rather than legislative restrictions. Would it be good then at least to use this legislation to prevent them from returning in the future when economic conditions change? Sure. But if you're going to do something in that vein, do it right and do it more thoroughly, getting closer to the heart of the problem. So this is the situation that a lot of these investors are in right now is they bought up this, the real estate and now their interest rates are going up on the loan that they use to fund the purchase. And also um, house insurance is going up. A lot of different associated costs of owning a residential property are spiking right now. So their costs are going up, their cap rate or the amount of money that they're getting back on this is like maybe three, four, maybe 5%. So you can, in other words, here's the choice facing them right now. They can either own a property that has a lawn that has to be mowed and paint that can start peeling and tenants that, you know, have to be managed and all of these kind of, you know, lots of overhead, lots of stuff to think about. You got to hire like a property maintenance team, all this other stuff. Or you can go buy a U.S. Treasury a piece of paper that's going to get you the same or better return on your money. Which do you think they're going to do? They're going to start dumping these properties and going for the paper. It's like, I can have a piece of paper that makes me 5%, or I can have like this entire messy property that you might have radon or like whatever the fuck else for, you know, 4.8%. It's not even close. So bottom line, large Wall State real estate. Whoa. Bottom line, large Wall Street real estate investors do represent a disturbing trend in the U.S. housing market, but smaller investors not targeted by this bill are arguably an even bigger problem in terms of their combined overall effect. There are so many steps that could be taken to disincentivize speculators and parasites in the housing market up to and including banning this activity outright, getting us closer to making housing a guaranteed right and to ensuring the stability of this pillar of the well-being of working people in the US. However, Merkley's and Smith's End Hedge Fund Control of American Homes Act of 2023 seems to have been calculated to make a maximal political splash while actually changing as little as possible in the highly dysfunctional anti-worker US housing market, a market which currently seems to be teetering on the brink of disaster once more. Now, right on the heels of that story, we also have this, which I just put up today, which is homelessness in the U.S. jumped to record levels in 2023, according to the U.S. government. So this was posted um, less than a week ago. And let's go into the post. You can see the chart there on the screen. It's just spiking the level of homelessness. But let's go into the um, details. Homelessness in the USA jumped 12% this year to an all-time high, according to recent U.S. government report. Most groups of color were disproportionately negatively impacted by the trend. Families with children saw a 16% increase in homelessness, 
and certain states saw higher proportions of homelessness than others did. In fact, um, I think California, Texas, New York, Florida, and I'm forgetting the fifth state, there was just a handful of states that accounted, I think, for 55% of it. Why? Because these are the most, um, you know, you got cities there, there's a lot of, they're population centers. And when you are homeless, you have to live near places, first of all, that um, aren't going to kick you out. Like maybe there's an established homeless population, heavily policed and brutalized, but it's there and you got other people to kind of lean on. But also you need to be near amenities. You need stuff that you can, you know, showers and different things. Um, way out in rural country, you know, you're not necessarily going to get that. Also, you're going to get all the scrutiny of the sort of nosy small town locals. So yes, homelessness is concentrated in some areas much more than others. That said, I mean, there's some prevalence in, in all kinds of places, but all right. While rents have begun to decline from recent peaks and newly built houses have seen a drop in value of almost 20% in some markets this year, existing houses for resale have barely begun to budge and wages have not kept pace with the increases. So right now there's a gigantic gap between house prices and how much they've gone up and how much wages have gone up. Wages have gone up, but not nearly that much. The median house price is now so high as effectively to lock most buyers out from the market and higher interest rates are making mortgages, i.e. the loans people use to actually buy the house, unless you have $300,000 in your back pocket, they're making the mortgage loans more expensive than they have been at any time in the last 15 years. Call it Bidenomics? Well, the Democrats, for some reason, already are. Nothing will fundamentally change, indeed. For people who don't know that quote, Biden was telling this to a group of very rich capitalists. Hey, if I get elected, you know, nothing is fundamentally going to change for you guys. Don't worry about it. I mean, most people actually want things to fundamentally change, but this is what the Democratic Party has for us. So what does this tell us? The rise of homelessness to record rates and we're just supposed to think the economy is doing great. The facts say loud and clear that capitalism doesn't value human life as anything but a potential source of profit for investors. And it'll condemn us to misery and death just as soon as look at us when we no longer represent easy earnings. Capitalists will destroy surplus food to keep prices high. They'll maintain more housing vacancies than there are housing insecure and homeless people. And they'll send us to work in a pandemic. Working people and all people of goodwill need to end capitalism. And Marxist-Leninist organizing is a proven way to do it. So just kind of continuing off of this, there was another post that I put up. Um, this is Doug McMillan, which I erroneously wrote as Doug McMillian a few times because I just kept thinking it while I was looking at his name. Uh, he's the CEO of Walmart, the largest uh, U.S. retailer. And he's talking about how consumers may not be as resilient in 2024 even as deflation in food prices starts to show. So um, you think, because people have pretty much, by and large, spent the COVID money, you know, they've spent the money that was given to them by the government and that they also just saved up during the pandemic when they weren't able to go out and do as many purchases, when there were supply chain issues, like whatever. Um, that cash surplus is now depleted. Because I was looking at some person's post on Twitter recently. They said they did an identical shopping trip as, as a kind of experiment. And 
so they had the receipt from 2020. It would cost $96. They went and did the exact same shopping trip. Cost them $226. So that's how much food prices have gone up, at least in their area. I know in my area it's the same thing. We're talking about gigantic price bubbles that are just swallowing up people's cash at the same time that government um, housing loan forbearances are expiring. The student debt uh, pause, that's ending as well. And so people have just been paying for a month or two on those. Another four or five months from now, people are going to be hitting rock bottom in terms of their cash reserves. But let's dig into this. So since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the USA has seen significant rises in prices on virtually everything from food to housing. But the CEO of Walmart, the largest retailer in the U.S., has made multiple announcements over recent months that deflation, which means a decrease in prices, may be around the corner as workers' budgets and savings have been stretched about as far as they can go. With capitalists' demand for growth being a constant, this means that sellers will be looking to increase sales volume as the individual prices of items begin to decline. So the prices go down, you need to sell more of the same item in order to keep the profit up. However, with the Federal Reserve's 1129-2023 Beige Book, which is sort of... Um, you can actually look this up, Federal Reserve Beige Book. They put it out every few months. It's sort of anecdotes from different branches of the Federal Reserve, their contacts. They do interviews with contacts in the economy just about how the economy is going. Worth, worth a read for any Marxist trying to understand the workings of capitalism. Noting that the labor market, according to the Beige Book, is beginning to soften with the number of job openings shrinking, unemployment rising. And by the way, when unemployment starts to rise, the typical pattern, uh, unemployment will come down on a long, gradual curve. Then it kind of hits a soft, um, rounded, you know, it's not, when it hits bottom and comes back up, at first it's soft and rounded. Then after it starts going up, changes trajectory and starts just spiking, going up at like, you know, previously it was going up at 10 degrees. Then all of a sudden it's going up at like 85 degrees. That is probably around the corner, particularly as um, we've talked about this before, but there is what's called the corporate debt wall coming up. So as I mentioned, uh, interest rates are very high now, whereas they were very low a few years ago. So all the companies that financed their operations with low interest loans a few years ago now have to refinance them as their debts expire and they have to renegotiate the contract. They have to renegotiate that in 2024 and 2025. Actually, I was watching another channel which showed the EU has the most of these coming up in 2024, like twice as many as the U.S. So you're likely to see it coming out of the EU first, this corporate debt wall, as companies have to either pay off their loan if they have enough cash or refinance at the higher interest rates. And a lot of them are not going to be able to do it. And what they're going to have to do instead is either close completely, putting all their workers out of jobs, or they're going to have to downsize and, and lay off a bunch of people. Either way, unemployment's going to go up. And typically, when unemployment starts going up, it starts slow, that doesn't last, then it spikes. And so we haven't hit that yet, but that is probably coming um, in the next year or two, and probably sooner rather than later, I would think. But definitely within the next two years. Um, so anyway, uh, workers in some areas have become more likely to, quote, share a roof and share meals in the face 
of household budget challenges. So th that actually needs some editing. The, uh, the, the two needs to come out. 2024 may be the year that the bubble pops with potentially far-reaching consequences. So, you know, this is what's on the horizon. And the Federal Reserve, which manages, you know, uh, like sets the federal funds rate and kind of does this um, management of the economy at the highest level. So the Federal Reserve, one of their mandates is to keep inflation low. And basically their target rate is 2%. And their other mandate is to uh, not cause excessive unemployment. Capitalism, again, like basically requires unemployment. Um, this is referred to as the reserve army of labor in Marxism. And um, they're much higher than 2%, or they were. They've been getting the inflation rate down. One thing to understand, though, if we look at, say, the housing chart, and I've shown this before, but... Um, so this is the S&P Case-Shiller U.S. National House Price Index. So you can see in the middle of the chart, that lump is the 2005, 2006, 2007 housing bubble that preceded that extended recession of 2008, 2009, the GFC or global financial crisis, great financial crisis, whatever you want to call it. Okay, and then prices did come down. So we saw deflation for a while after that. Then in 2012, it starts climbing again because the interest rates were basically near zero. They're just handing out money to try to get the economy going again. Well, they did. And then what happens after 2020 is it was going at one rate of inflation, and then the rate of inflation just spikes. It starts going up at a much higher amount from year to year. And now we're up in the stratosphere in, in terms of prices. And again, this is housing, which is like roughly a quarter of GDP. So it's, it's an important... Um, transaction for, for measuring the U.S. economy. So let's say that they get inflation, they do, they pull off the soft landing that they're talking about, and they get inflation down to 2%. So that doesn't mean that prices come down. That means they keep going up at 2% per year. What's the problem? They're already completely unaffordable, like to the point of it's paralyzed the housing market, and people can't afford groceries and other stuff. So 2% is not going to cut it. You actually need like negative 10% or thereabouts for several years for prices to come back down to a level that anyone can work with. But they think that they're going to just have prices keep going up forever. And somehow, I mean, you're basically risking hyperinflation at this point where the money just becomes worthless and nobody can afford anything because you know, loaf of bread's like a million dollars. I mean, I have a feeling that they are savvy enough to avoid that much of an extreme scenario that has happened in different countries. But my point is they have limited room to go in the upper tier without raising wages enough to match. Unless they start doubling people's wages like really fast, nobody's going to be able to afford anything. And after two or three years, um, people are going to have sold you know, every last book on their shelf, like every, every last item of value in their house to just pay for groceries. And they're going to be down to, you know, wearing like a burlap sack for clothing. And they're, they're going to have nothing left because they'll have paid all of their money um, and cashed in all their belongings just to keep up with bills. So point being, either wages come up drastically 
or prices have to come down. But this idea that, oh, they've tamed inflation to 2%. Yeah, the problem is it's on top of a, a mountaintop right now. And it's got to come down. It can't just keep going up at a slower rate. Um, it's got to come down. So, And it's got to come down kind of a lot. And it probably will. And it's probably going to be a massively ugly event. And this is what I spend a lot of my time thinking about right now. Anyway, let's get back to the chat. Anecdotally, the amount of people calling in sick at my job, if I had to guess, is probably triple compared to pre-pandemic. Someone else says worse than triple at theirs. <clears throat> I cannot stay for the stream today, but thank you for doing this as usual. Hope everyone has safe holidays and New Year. See you next time. There you go. Yeah, rest up, people. People, I think, um, really overburden themselves and overtax themselves and strain themselves this time of year. Your body wants to rest and hibernate, not go crazy with lots of festivities. You know, take it slow. Um, don't don't burn yourself out. There was a study that may have found the mechanism for PASC or long COVID uh, post-acute. Um, isn't it PAX? Post-acute COVID syndrome. Uh, quote, we found that despite the fact that the heart was pumping oxygenated blood, the lungs were providing adequate amounts of oxygen for... Oh, try that again. Quote, we found that despite the fact that the heart was pumping oxygenated blood, that the lungs were providing adequate amounts of oxygen for, the extraction of oxygen by the body's tissues was compromised in patients who had symptoms of exercise intolerance after COVID. Unquote, said Peter Kahn, a pulmonary and critical care fellow at Yale School of Medicine and lead AUT. I have to say, the way it, the text is small, and lead AUT reads like lead slut, but I guess that's not it. Yeah, I've, I've seen a number of things like they're looking for biomarkers of indicating long COVID or post-acute COVID syndrome. And in 60% of cases, we did this study on the channel, um, they found the COVID spike still circulating in the body. So different things can cause um, the... Uh, the long COVID, it can cause autoimmunity, which turns your own immune system against your own tissue. It can cause gut microbiome dysregulation. So basically you have several pounds of microbes living, beneficial, healthy, symbiotic microbes living in your digestive system. And it causes, uh, because the gut can be a major, major reservoir, like hiding place for the virus, it can really mess up the um, bacteria and things that live in your gut which are hugely important for producing a lot of chemicals you need. Like more serotonin gets produced in your gut than gets produced in your brain, for example, neurotransmitter. So, um, yeah, it can, it can do a whole bunch of stuff. It can cause chronic inflammation. There's, there's a lot of things. One of the things I saw recently was there was a study that showed that people who had um, fatigue as part of their long COVID, which is one of the most common symptoms, it's... Um, mental brain fog, mental confusion, whatever you want to call it, some sort of cognitive impairment, um, muscle pain, and fatigue, I think are the three most common long COVID symptoms. And then there's literally a list of a hundred other symptoms that appear, you know, uh, in, in multiple people with, with long COVID. But anyway, um, the fatigue, they found that the people having the fatigue had significantly lower levels of cortisol which is like a stress hormone and it kind of is, is associated with alertness and makes sense. The people that were feeling 
lethargic and low energy sluggish were um, low in cortisol. So was having some direct effect on that. Uh, not things anybody, anybody wants to mess around with. I've avoided COVID by upgrading to a P100 when Omicron dropped. And like the other commenter said, trust no one not to infect you. Absolutely. I'm getting really lonely, but also not taking unnecessary risks. Yeah. I mean, you know, I live in the U.S. where people, um, adults already have huge problems with friend deficiencies. Like, people are not, like, people in this country do not have enough friends. And that's actually been shown to be on the decline, like, since the 1990s. So, for several decades now, people have had fewer and fewer friends. And then, um, on top of it, you know, the kind of difficulties that people face when they are trying to mask and stuff like that. I found in social situations, people I know do not give me a hard time about the mask, but it's probably because I'm really careful about who I do associate with. But yeah, trust no one. And especially right now, like if you're, if you're in the Northeast or Midwest, don't do anything. There's a gigantic surge, like you're practically guaranteed to get um, COVID, so... What about a blog via Wix or something like that? I've so far avoided having like a proprietary, my own website for this thing. Just having accounts on sites, that's working well. So we'll see, but it, you know, it's an idea. Um, I just, I don't know. There's something to me more appealing about doing social media for this. Yeah, for, for doing S4A, there's something more appealing to me about putting out content on sites where people already have accounts and they listen to other channels and things, just sort of being in the mix, rather than directing them to, like, my website. I've just, anyway, that's just the approach I've taken so far, but we'll see. Simply acknowledging that COVID is not over puts S4A in top-tier socialist thinking. Yeah, I, I don't know how people are, you know, claiming to be standing up for the working class and ignoring COVID. Did people hear about the police raids on Berlin on members of Zora? No. Do you have a link? The loneliness did finally catch up with me this year, as there are so many fewer people still shielding, masking. I want to try and connect with some masking comrades, but it always comes back to, trust no one, that 99% of socialists are getting this wrong. Bums me out. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, I have put... I used to talk about this more. I've kind of started letting it go the reality is i had a bunch of plans that i had to like cancel i mean like life plans like i was gonna do a school program and things that actually would have dramatically changed my life i'd be like making a lot more money if i did this one school program and i had to put it on hold because they were um switching back to in-person classes like just as i do all the prereqs, everything out. Like, I'm getting myself all set to, like, do this program. Um, they switch back to in-person classes. Dead smack in the middle of Omicron. I was like, I can't do that. Because I had already been through a year of long COVID. I had just gotten over it. There was no way in hell I was going to risk that again. And um, so, yeah. I have since found a couple of other things to do. And... 
I don't know. I'm just pissed. Like, I don't know what to say. I had this whole plan where, you know, before the pandemic happened, I was like many, you know, struggling with my employment situation, not being all that I was desiring and particularly not in relation to my educational background. Okay. So I made a plan that I was going to go do something else that I thought would unlock more of the potential of my experience in education and just get me into some work that was going to be better paying, you know, on a, on a more solid, dependable basis. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, great. You know, I'll be done with this program. Like they're doing it online now and um, I'll be done with this right around the time that the pandemic should be wrapping up and wow, great. And fucking none of that like happened. <laughs> And uh, so my whole life has like been not 100%, but at least mm, a majority of like what I expected to be doing in the last few years has been put on hold as a result of my needing to avoid getting COVID and passing it along to like other, you know, people around me and things like there's the point about you getting COVID and what it can do to you. There's also a thing about spreading it to people. I don't want to do that either. Um, so I hear you on like loneliness and just also like, I feel like I can justify the loneliness and also like I'm running a channel, which is not a social life. Like it's not the same thing, but I do at least have, you know, these kinds of interactions that it's, it's something of a community. And that's another reason I appreciate everybody uh, that does show up and is like not a douchebag. <laughs> so thumbs up for that. But, um, yeah, like at some point, I, I assume the risk level will be low, lower at some point where I will be able to take risks that currently I can't take. But this thing is setting me back years and years on like what I thought I was going to be doing with my life. And it has just been a major obstacle. And people like us, people who actually take this seriously and are looking out to protect ourselves and others we're treated like the assholes in this situation and it's fucked up. It's upside down. And, uh, you know, so it's like, after all this gets over, I, I have to, like, I have to assume at some point, like the risk will be lower, um, one way or another. Like I, I couldn't tell you exactly how it's just like, <laughs> I assume at some point, um, probably, but by then it's like, my life will have moved on. I'll be in a different place personally. You know, I'll be in a different place in terms of my just development. Like, I'll, I'll be a, diff a different stage of my life as far as my developmental goals and just life goals. And I'm having to make do with, like, a lot less than I thought I was going to. I don't, I don't mean money-wise. I mean that. But, I mean, I had um, professional development stuff that I thought I was going to be doing. I'm making it sound a little bit fancier than, than it is, but I was planning to keep taking steps towards like what, you know, my work life and, uh, just have not been able to do that. So, you know, been staying sane by doing uh, this channel and continuing to study and learn with you all. But, um, fuck, you know, uh, if it wasn't for this, like I've, I, have had a lot of frustration over the last several years because of all of the things I have not been able to do, whether it's moving, whether it's school goals, whether it's work goals, I've not been able to do 
I would say the overwhelming majority of what I had planned. And, but again, I'm the asshole for pointing it out, you know, according to like Bidenomics, everything's fucking just, just dandy. Like the housing market's paralyzed. Homelessness just hit an all time record. But you know, we're the assholes because we point out that there's structural defects with the economy and you know, the concentrated expression of the economy is the politics and fucking Biden's just up there picking his nose like lost in a daydream. So. So. There really needs to be Tinder for people who care about COVID. Like if I could sort all the socialists in my area by whether or not they've eaten in a restaurant would be a huge start for me. Yeah, I mean, there are different groups on social media for just connecting with other people that don't pretend that the pandemic is over. But um, it just, it's still hard. Uh, I'm talking about history books in socialism. What about the book History of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union by Stalin? So I won't be doing that one because there is already a very well-recorded human-read copy of that on the Finnish Bolsheviks channel. The Finnish Bolshevik in the early days uploaded a lot of computer-read theory audiobooks, has uh, more recently gotten into reading them himself, like I do, and that's good, because I think it, it's much more listenable. You can also um, correct errors in the text, which there are a fair amount of typos on Marxist.org. Um, deeply appreciate Marxist.org. They're great, even with the typos. Fact is, there are typos, and if you just feed them into a machine... It'll just read them in ways that you won't be able to understand what it's talking about. So I think there's a lot of uh, benefits to doing human read stuff. And anyway, that's a very long audiobook, but it is already done. I, I am actually at the point where he and I do compare notes a bit on like what to read out loud. I'm sure there will still be some overlap, but yeah. Oh, I think he also did um, Engel's Origin of the Family uh, state and private property as a human read. And that's another super long, like 10, 11 hour audiobook. I think I will skip that because he already did it. Here's a brief article. Oh, on the situation in Berlin. German police raid pro Palestinian feminist group. The raids were part of a probe into allegations that members of the group Zora were using emblems of the PFLP which Israel, the EU, and the U.S. have designated a terrorist organization. Uh, meanwhile, um, Germany experiencing a resurgence of far-right Nazi activity. But uh, sure, Palestinians are the problem, whatever you say, guys. Have I ever seen the movie Reds? I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, it's kind of long, that isn't why I haven't seen the whole thing. But I understand it is long. I have seen clips from it. Um, looked a pretty good dramatization from what I saw. There was a COVID dating group on Facebook, but it shut down recently because the mod refused to kick out a person who wanted to post pro-Israel content. Yeah, you don't need to put that in a uh, COVID group at all. 
isn't the best way to find a Trotskyist. I don't know why you'd want to find a Trotskyist. I know what you're saying. Identify a Trotskyist. Is to praise Stalin and see which one does the um actually Stalinism. That's one way to do it, yeah, for sure. Then again, I mean, lots of liberals will do that too, but that that will work. There was an old, uh, there was a comedy sketch of, uh, it was about like eating Muppets. And they were like, how do you catch them? And they're like, I wish someone could help me learn the alphabet. And then like a Muppet pops up. It's like, anyway, uh, Trotsky is similar. Doesn't genetics entail eugenics? I think you mean imply, but um, no, it doesn't. Defining genetics as a unit of heredity that influences characteristics in a population and passes this down to their offspring. That's a fact, okay? That's a biological fact, period. So have you considered whether it is true or not? Um, then this follows. One. No, what are you... What are you talking about? Um, doing like gene therapy and ways to like edit genes to not have cancer is not the same thing as like death camps. I, I don't know. I don't know what your concern about that is. What is your concern about this? I saw a video today from Gaza taken by an Israeli showing a partially cleared area of Gaza. I saw some of their ads and propaganda about clearing and developing the land, but seeing it happening is wild. Yeah, as people have pointed out, and I've also thought for a long time, this is what the settling of the U.S., what is now called the U.S., would have looked like if there were video cameras back then. I mean, even, like, colonization is an ongoing process, and some of it did happen more recently. Like, um... Well, I mean, Hawaii, that was very recent, for example, and Alaska, and then some of the Southwest states were in the 20th century. So it wasn't all in, like, the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, um, prior to video cameras, in other words. But uh, the bulk of it was, was done earlier. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a disgusting, brutal process. I really honestly have to think Israel is not going to get away with it, though. This kind of old remnant of classical colonialism, like 20th century colonialism, the world fucking hates them. I just don't think Israel is going to get away with this in the end. I think they are going to get away with killing a lot more people, but I don't think they're ultimately going to win this. They're also attacking southern Lebanon now. So, um you know, any country in that area has to realize, like, it's in their interest to shut this down. Of course, the U.S. has, and this is another thing where Biden is just shitting the bed in terms of even trying to pretend to be remotely liberal, not in a capitalist sense, but in a, like, uh, you know, civil rights kind of sense. Um, you know, parking warships off there, Biden just making it absolutely clear Israel has carte blanche to do whatever, and the U.S., will stand by their side and make sure that they just do whatever. <clears throat> you know, I think the U.S. is going to end up forcing the world's hand in one way or another on that. Why would you start removing genes that can reduce, alter or reduce mental abilities? <laughs> Why would you want mental illness? Like, I just, what are you talking about? 
It just makes no sense what you're saying. I'm finding more pro-mask liberals than communists, really. The majority of the COVID-conscious crowd are pretty libbed up. Yeah, I, I've noticed that as well. At least online, leftists are overly concerned with being cool. Oh, you mean they're in their early 20s? So naturally this would be a problem, yeah. Uh, reasonable reply. I think that that's because a lot of people in the COVID cautious crowd tend to be highly privileged and or married. I, I guess it's easier to be COVID cautious if you have your own built-in safe bubble and can work from home. Valid points. Yeah, I mean, the vaccine, it, you know, you might feel run down for several days. In the end, it's going to protect you. And again, I've, I've had ones where I literally had zero side effects. Um, you know, I did get COVID arm once, which if you don't know what COVID arm is, I was, I didn't know what it was when I got it, but I did get that once. And then, um, yeah, so I've, I've had the range of like no symptoms, very mild arm soreness for 24 hours, um, up to COVID arm and then up to like feeling sick for like four full days. It just varies. I saw socialist stickers stuck on poles in my downtown. It had QR codes on it that led to some Trotskyist page, so Socialist Revolution. Makes me want to make some stickers that direct to S4A YouTube page and the spread of revisionism and Trotskyist deviations. I mean, if you did that, I wouldn't be able to stop you. I did back-to-back -back Novavax boosters because I lied and told them that I was unvaxxed and got the full two-shot course. No symptoms beyond a slightly sore arm. Yeah, I understand the Novavax is pretty good. That's what I got for my booster. There's a lot of people that do that, that will like hop state lines, because the vaccine records are only inside of a state. And uh, they'll just go to somewhere and just be like, yep, I need the shots. Although, I have to say, when I got my booster this season, they didn't ask if I had a card or anything. They don't care anymore, I don't think. Because now it's just on insurance. So it's like just, you know, you get whatever vaccines. But yeah, I did not have a vaccine uh, card or anything like that. That, that. Those days are gone. I live alone and still coveting has made me even more socially isolated than I was before. And it's been hard on my mental health. Uh, yeah, know what, I know what you mean. I don't think I could deal with being married to someone who didn't take COVID seriously. Yeah, I mean, your risk factor of um, if someone you live with. So I was just looking at a chart. I think I might have retweeted it. Uh, it. It showed the level of risk for different things. Briefly encountering someone in passing, very low risk. Spending 15 minutes in contact with somebody, you know, significantly elevated risk over the first one. And then living with someone, the risk was, like, really, really dramatic. So, yeah, if you, whoever you live with doesn't take it seriously, then um, if they get it, you get it, pretty much. Unless you really just wear an N95, you know, or better around them at all times and, like, stay in a closed room with a Corsi Rosenthal box, you know, that's pretty much your option. 
it's terrible. I mean, and again, public health means a public response. This whole, like, everybody just fend for themselves thing, it's not a public health response. Yeah, gene therapy, good. Eugenics, bad. Not the same thing. Seriously, please understand what eugenics is. That's not the same thing. Let alone, like, genocide. It's just really bizarre. I just wanted to say thank you for doing some feminist theory readings. I've appreciated listening to them. I think feminist theory is crucial in the next evolutionary step. We shouldn't be afraid to support and contribute to it as male comrades. Rock on. Yes, I agree. Um, I started reading Lavender and Red, which is uh, LGBTQ+. Plus. It's like the history of the LGBTQ movement as it intersects with the socialist movement. Um, there's definitely feminist theory tied in with that, but also queer theory as well. Um, then the Palestine thing started, and I kind of dropped everything to focus on that more. We'll be coming back to that and other readings. But yeah, I made a point, I think it was early in 2021, after coming through the first year of doing this channel, 2020, and just the amount of fucking chuds. Because this was before Caleb Maupin got outed, and it was like when PCUSA was still not really known to be fully Nazball and just all the other stuff. It was before the big, like, Patsock controversy and the land back thing, and before people started really going, like, you know, who are these Lyndon LaRouche fuck-ups that are pretending to be Marxist and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was just going, like, who, what is going on in this supposedly Marxist world? And in, I think it was January, maybe it was even December 2020, um, early 2021, though, I started just doing a bunch of, like, feminist texts. I was literally just trying to drive these people away from being in the audience, uh, while also, you know, educating people in, in something else. And, you know, some of the readings, like, I, there are some Radfem readings that, uh, I, you know, not, like, the best thing, but um, I did want to give people more of an overview of that. And then, of course, there's, like, Anuradha Gandhi's writings on the philosophical trends within the feminist movement. So I have some examples of the different trends on the channel. So I see a lot of so-called Marxists upset that Trump is getting booted off the ballot in Colorado, but I just don't care. It's capitalist on capitalist violence. Uh, I have to think those are not Marxists. Um, just, I, I don't, I I don't I do not have a statement I don't know what to say um yeah there's a lot of people actually you know what that reminds me too speaking of this kind of bizarre opportunism and just the right-wingers that think that they're some kind of communist or something Jimmy Dore who once upon a time was a progressive but if you weren't there prior to the summer of 2016 you would probably not know that uh because ever since then and his you know he was on the Young Turks originally, and they endorsed Hillary Clinton after Bernie got cheated by the Democratic Party and went along with getting cheated by the Democratic Party. So the Young Turks took um, a lot of money from the Democratic Party, $20 million, and claimed that they weren't influenced by that money in any way. Okay. And I remember Cenk, um, Cenk Uger of the Young Turks talking about that one time and so smugly he was like look the money's not influencing us they already gave us the money like 
he was trying to make the case there, and I feel like he was even telling himself this because he seemed really genuine about it. He's like, we already got the money. In other words, like, the money would only control them if they told them they were going to give them $20 million, but, like, $5 million at a time if they, follow, if they liked what they saw. But here's the thing, Jank. If they gave you $20 million once, wouldn't it be implied that they might do it again if they liked it? <laughs> Just, that was such poor reasoning. But I feel like even Jank was sort of deceiving himself on that front. Anyway, Jimmy Dore was on there and then had a falling out with TYT after they endorsed Hillary Clinton following, you know, Bernie dropping out. Rather than trying to build an independent um, left labor whatever party movement, um, they stuck with Hillary Clinton, who, you know, might as well be like George W. Bush as far as like what the, what the overall politics are, foreign policy and basically everything else. Um, just about as like nestled in the establishment of U.S. politics as you possibly can be. So a lot of people thought Jimmy Dore was like the, quote, true progressive that was emerging out of this. But the way I see it, he got in a pissing contest with Jenk and TYT. And he was still on TYT, not on the main show, but on his own channel, Aggressive Progressives, for like a while. And then finally, even that was over. Um, and people thought that he and Jordan Cheriton of Status Coup, who also used to be on TYT, um, they were like the real progressives that left TYT, which was just going more mainstream, like bog-standard Democratic Party stuff. But then, in order to compete with TYT, I think, Dorr said to himself, how do I get a huge audience bigger than TYT? Well, there really weren't enough people on the left to do it. And Jimmy Dorr wasn't going to go and do something like I'm doing, like teach people Marxism, he wanted to go for an established audience that was going to make him lots of clicks, lots of subs, lots of money. So who did he go for? He started leaning more and more to the right. Libertarians, oh, they have some common ground with us. Oh, let's interview Ron Paul. Let's see what this MAGA person has to say. I mean, they kind of have a point. I mean, Trump's like just the punishment for the Democrats and like, oh, Trump's less of a warmonger. And like on and on. Oh, Tucker Carlson. Like, on and on it goes. Well, now, here's where we're at with the Jimmy Dore show. So, Jimmy Dore, I can't believe we're even talking about this, but as I wrote, Jimmy Dore earned himself another right-wing grifting merit badge this week, pivoting from spitting on Alex Jones, which he did, and I linked the clip from 2016 where he spit out a mouthful of soda deliberately on Alex Jones, and he defended it later. Yeah, I mean, he, he was trying to say, oh, it was a spit take. Like, something Jones said was so ridiculous, made him laugh out loud and spit out a soda. To me, he was, like, walking towards him like he was clearly aiming at him, in my opinion. But, hey, that's what you want to spit on Alex Jones? Like, I mean, that, that would, to me, was not, uh, I was not canceling Jimmy Dore for that. Anyway, he did that, and then he defended it. And then he switched now. He's rehabbing Alex Jones in what I called a lifeless, painfully unfunny promo clip for, oh, why is he doing this? Because Tucker Carlson thinks Alex Jones is good enough to have him on a show, and anything that Tucker Carlson does, Jimmy just has his nose firmly implanted in Tucker Carlson's anus, following him around everywhere, just, just trailing in the wake and trying to catch as many dollars as fall his way as as he possibly can 
So Tucker Carlson interviewed Alex Jones. Naturally, Jimmy Dore had to just try to get on that train. And uh, so how much lower will Jimmy Dore sink? Well, depends on how much money's involved and whether or not Tucker gives him the okay. Now taking bets on how long before a Jimmy Dore, David Icke interview pops up. And for people who don't know David Icke, who has uh, appeared on the Alex Jones show in the past, uh, David Icke is the lizard people guy. And as somebody was pointing out in the comments, so weird that the lizard people haven't, you know, gotten to David Icke for outing them. Almost like they're not real and it's just a, you know, uh, puppet show to distract people from the real problems. And there's not actually any lizard people because if there were, David Icke uh, definitely wouldn't be able to say that and so on. But anyway, so now we've got screenshot there of the Jimmy Dore Show thumbnail. He called it. Something in reference to COVID. Alex Jones's most accurate prediction ever. Wow, what a visionary. Fucking Alex Jones. And then there's there's the other one. Alex Jones's newest predictions are chilling. Wow, how can one man be so right all the time? We love you, Alex Jones. I mean, really, like, it's shameless. Um, and it, more than just shameless, it's just so fucking obvious. Like... He's just after that Tucker Carlson money. Jimmy Dore said many times that he would sell out if someone offered him enough money. Well, I guess someone did. You know, and he sort of said it as a joke, but he would always stare at the camera like a little extra long every time he said that. And uh, clearly these are the results. That whole fucking thing. If, if you're listening to this stream and you're a Jimmy Dore fan, get your life right. Because holy fuck, he's just a libertarian. Like, his fucking co-host, that pasta guy, just is an out-and-out -out libertarian. They're right-wingers. They're not communists in any way, shape, or form. Libertarians are virulently anti-communist. And if you're into that shit, you are too. You're not a fucking communist. So, you know, we're happy to help you get oriented to Marxism-Leninism. But that kind of wanton opportunism and just fucking fascism, that's not part of the deal. Yeah, there's people in the comments like, oh, I expected more from Jimmy Dore. Why? Have you been watching anything he's been doing in the last few years? You know, and like I said, uh, he didn't do this overnight. It started in 2016. He started the pivot. And as it grew, that right-wing influence just took over and he just rode that all the way to the bank. And uh, now there's not even like a trace of what he used to be. For me, and I've said this before, for me, the last stand of his, the last gasp of Jimmy Dore's progressive instincts was that force the vote thing. I think he is sincere about wanting Medicare for all, but when everything else you do is like COVID denial, anti-vax, you name it, like promoting the fucking like great replacement or whatever fucking stage he's on now. I mean, just promoting Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is fucking Nazi news, you know? Um, they had cable TV back in the back in Nazi Germany. That's what it would have looked like, and he's just right there. So, yeah, as of several years now, Dor is completely crossed over. You know, and I think that people who are fooled by him, and there's probably some angry commenters typing right now, like in the YouTube video, after I post this, it's people who are too easily fooled. You you don't have. The proletarian, internationalist, Marxist-Leninist foundations of your theory and political understanding yet. And you're being taken in and taken for a ride 
by this kind of opportunist, like, oh, he says he's anti-war. Yeah, libertarians say that all the time. However, they're for a system which literally fucking requires war. Okay, you can't have capitalism without war. It's not possible. Libertarians try to sell you on this petty bourgeois, like small capitalist who's envious of the big capitalists, that, oh, you know, oh, the man is out to get us. Bro, you're literally trying to become the man yourself and you're just pissed that you're not as rich as the man, but you're engaging in this same fucking capitalist exploitation that they are just on a smaller scale. So people who are taken in by that stuff and think it's in some way like communist based, whatever, um, you do not have your theoretical foundations. You need to sit down, close your mouth, study up, and then, you know, again, just, just get educated on this because you're not doing it correctly. And I just, I do not suffer that shit in the comments. You want to post it? Great. It's not going to get published. Uh, we're well beyond the stage of trying to argue with people on that. It's non-negotiable. I really appreciate some of the YouTube videos you have dropped. I'm not the audiobook type, but I love the analysis videos you made. Well, um, I'll tell you this. Uh, check out some of the audiobooks anyway, because I do put comments in them that kind of help explain it. And a lot of times I'll put either in the beginning or the end, you know, up to 10 or 15 minutes of kind of digesting the content. So I do build in a lot of commentary with it to kind of put it in perspective and context and help people understand. I get the occasional person that doesn't like that, but that's the way I do it. And I know that the majority of the people that comment on that do say they like it and benefit from it. So that is just the way that we do it. I don't just read audiobooks. I, I try to teach the audiobooks. And I think I've gotten better at it as my foundations have gotten better too. But um, anyway, I appreciate your appreciation. And just saying, you know, even some of the shorter audiobooks, some of them don't have comments, but a lot of them do. So some you may be surprised you'll get more analysis in them than you might expect. I always tell people the capitalists would sell you for a dollar if they could. Yeah, I mean, if that's all they could get for you, sure, they'll sell you for two or three. They can get two or three. That quote about folks hitting rock bottom financially soon hits really close to home. It feels like I've been alone in that, but the fact that someone is publishing that tells me that something has got to give soon. Yeah, this whole run, the whole like 2010, 2012 and on run, it's over. You know, the market hit a bottom in 2012. That was the end of the bottom. It's been on the ascent since then. Guess what? All these people that think that the top is just going to go on forever... There's never going to be another bear market. It's just going to go up and up and up. That's not how this system works. Why are you engaging in investment behavior when you don't even know how the system works? But I guess that's capitalism. It relies on suckers. Let's not be one. And so what does this mean for workers? I mentioned the risk of imminent unemployment for people. That's definitely one. The unionization that started in the last few years has got to ramp up. That's really the only way that workers can really protect themselves out of that struggle i do think we will generate a new vanguard and a new political party that has the class consciousness and you know the the political appendage of that movement will come but it's got to have the solid torso and the basis is always the labor movement that is the main form of proletarian organizations labor unions and um, as long as those unions aren't militant and well-formed and all that um, you know, that's the class consciousness comes in part through book study and learning 
but it also comes from engaging in struggle and having that experience. So weak struggle, weak vanguard. Better struggle, better vanguard, better class consciousness, better lessons. And then when you do go and study the history, you can relate to it. You can understand from your own perspective what they're talking about. Like, oh, I get what was happening back there in 1950 because it's like this thing that we went through here and so on. And yeah, no, you're definitely not alone. That is the situation of the majority of people. Dr. Bruce Patterson does great work on identifying and treating long COVID. Worth searching YouTube for his latest interviews. Okay, I'm not familiar with that person, so I can't personally say one way or the other, but yeah, put that in there for future reference. Um, I will say there's a well-known often promoted person the hell is the guy's name um british guy can't think of the guy's name oh well moving on he started out doing covid news and then he went down the whole anti-vax route um ah i can see i can see his face hear his voice can't think of the name anyway there's another channel that i liked i haven't checked out in a while gez mettinger g-e-z yeah, run DMC Gez Mettinger. So it's YouTube at RUNDMC1. And does a lot of interviews with researchers on long COVID. I haven't checked this out in a while, but it was pretty high quality stuff the last time I looked. From your perspective, is it irresponsible to not wear masks in public, especially in the U.S.? Hands down, yes, absolutely anywhere. Uh, is socialism necessarily authoritarian? Authoritarian is not um, really an objective term, but can anyone point me in the direction of any readings? Yes. Uh, I mean, there's angles on authority, but um, lots of anarchists just rage about that one anyway and claim to have debunked it. Here's what you got to think about rather than authoritarian versus libertarian, which is really a bullshit distinction. What you have in class society which is to say unequal society where there's different classes of people who have different relationships to the means of production. Means of production are the things that um, we use to generate the goods and services that are required for what we consider, you know, well, currently modern life. But the goods and services, you know, that make all the stuff that we need, um, that makes, uh, yeah, you get it, the material basis of life and survival. So, um, in class society, there's a ruling class. Currently, it's the capitalist class in the U.S. In capitalism, it's the capitalist class that rules society. These are the people that own the means of production and operate them for profit. And they use their state, the bourgeois or capitalist state, to enforce their class rule. So we live in the dictatorship of capital, the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, dictatorship of the capitalist class, whatever you want to call it. These are synonyms. So, in socialism, what happens is, um, through a revolutionary process, the dictatorship of capital is ended, the institutions of the bourgeois state are replaced, not just changed, but torn down and replaced with instruments of the proletarian state, which is really only a semi-state in the sense that um, it's not seeking to prolong minoritarian rule, you know, and oppression. However, the proletariat following a socialist revolution does need 
to repress the capitalists. Um, because after a revolution, there are still capitalists and petty capitalists who are going to try to keep exploiting people, keep employing people, and so on. So what the dictatorship of the proletariat is about is creating a transition uh, away from capitalism, using the power of the proletarian state to repress the capitalist class until it is extinct. And this can take a while, like multiple generations. So uh, that process is underway. We are still in the era of proletarian revolutions but um, and imperialism on the other side. <clears throat> but there's always force involved, always, because the capitalists are just going to try to keep doing capitalism. Proletarians must forcibly, in our class interests, uh, stop them from doing that. So, I mean, if you call that authoritarian, then, I mean, that's a very bourgeois point of view to consider using force to stop exploitation in the interest of the vast majority of humanity it's definitely a capitalist perspective you know the only people who are really opposed to that are capitalists so yeah they do call it authoritarian and this and that but um anyway the dictatorship of the proletariat it's a period of struggle against capitalism globally against capitalism internally and um there is force involved it, it is necessary but these things uh the state political parties their products of the era of human existence marked by class society. As long as there are class distinctions, class inequalities, there's going to be the state and political parties to represent one class interest or another. And the state is force. So, um, you know, authority is basically just institutionalized power. Power is basically the threat of the use of force. So, uh, I mean, it's necessarily authoritarian in that sense that it has authority and, you know, can threaten to use and use force to enforce the class interests of the proletariat. But this is like really different from the kind of standard capitalist framing that you get from it because capitalists aren't Marxist-Leninists and they don't understand class society in the same way that we do. Welcome, Strawberry Gin. Do you wear the mask while socializing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's when you need to wear it the most. Capitalism has killed, quote, the community where you typically make most of your friends. Most people hang with work friends, but if you switch jobs, that can be difficult to maintain. Tell me about it. And yeah, I mean, a lot. so there's a concept in like urban planning known as the third place. So you have work, home, and a third place where you spend time. And in recent years, the third place is on the decline. There used to be more clubs. There used to be more public gathering places. Um, there are fewer than ever. People use the internet as a third place, but it's not actually a place, you know. It's like a third venue, but it's virtual, and you're still usually using it from home or from work, or maybe if you're on your phone, you know, from uh, some kind of, you know, more public, a bench or on your commute, or something like that. But yeah, the, the, the third place is... is uh, anyway, if you're interested in that topic, you can look up more about that. It's one way to understand what's, what's happening for, on a material basis. Just if you're going to socialize, you need space to socialize in. And that has definitely uh, been taken away. 
Oh, Wix is the web host is an Israeli company hosting the fake Hamas.com website, which is a website by the Israeli government that slanders their movement by pretending to be them. I did not know that. Putting that in for later. And okay, I'll never use Wix. There we go. Yeah, about authoritarianism. And first of all, you know, thank you for the comment. I know a lot of people wonder about that. It's just like authoritarian. It's it's a really difficult framing to work with because, um, yeah, it's just not really like a, a valid framing. <clears throat> Capitalists do uh, use that sort of authoritarian, non-authoritarian framing to try to dissuade people from being interested in socialism. But, you know, as... Uh, was it Engels, have these men ever seen a revolution? You know, the process of taking power away from the capitalist class, I mean, they don't let go of it peacefully, you know? But the alternative is to just let them keep doing horrible things forever. So another comment, authoritarian is kind of a nothing burger term because all systems at our current stage are, quote, authoritarian in the sense that there is a class suppressing another through the state. Yeah, exactly. This is what I was saying. Um, and this is actually in the current readings that are up on the channel of Mao criticizing Khrushchev and the whole peaceful coexistence thing. Um, they were definitely putting out peaceful transition, peaceful coexistence in the Khrushchev years of the USSR, which were just revisionist lies that like, oh, the imperialists are peace loving now. What? So anyway, uh, and also the notion of the party of the whole people. No, I mean, the USSR was claiming that the dictatorship of the proletariat was like a past stage and that they had moved on to um, the society of the whole people and all this. So that's not possible in class society. Anyway, um, socialism does require the suppression of the capitalist class. Yeah, it's ongoing class struggle. Capitalism also requires the suppression of a class, but that class is the majority, the working class. I'm not sure of the best stuff to read, but I know on authority in the state and revolution helped me to develop my understanding. It's a very good um, answer, Seth. Yeah, that's why I have the state and revolution by Lenin pinned as like the video that people see um, when they're subscribed to the channel. If I could get people to read like one text, it would be Lenin's The State and Revolution because it clears up so many questions that particularly U.S. leftists have about Marxism, the state, and so on. It also rebuts anarchism, which has, you know, a number of serious errors about the state and the nature of the state. Anarchists think that basically the state is the problem, and that if you just smash the state, everything kind of gets better from there. But no, the state is a product of class society. Getting rid of it is not going to change the underlying condition that there is class society. And then social democrats or reformists make the opposite mistake, which is that you can just gradually reform the bourgeois state into something that works for workers. That's not how it works. Bourgeois state, just like the old feudal state, has to be, you know, replaced. So, uh, but again, good answer there. Have I heard about the trials on inhaled COVID vaccines? Um, I have heard that they're promising, but I also haven't seen much being really advanced practically on that in the last several years. So I'll take a look at your link, though. I did more recently look for updates on that. And I really didn't see any. 
may not be related to anything, but some good news is here in Salt Lake City, the socialist candidate got 7% of the vote in the mayoral election, which for the area, yeah, for sure is really good. What, um, I'll have to look this up later. Salt Lake City Socialist Mayor. Okay. Look that up later. Where's my Twitch tab? Found it. Uh, since you talk a lot about organizing, yes, it's very important for people to get involved in the real world. What do you think of the IMT? They're Trotskyist. Seems like they're a heavy presence where I am, and I keep seeing them out at protests and strikes and stuff. I took some of the pamphlets they were giving out on Palestine, thought they had a good take. Yes, you can find Trotsky as having good takes on various topics. The problem is Trotskyism as a tendency cannot be trusted at all. Um, Trotsky's own positions shifted all the time. The only constant throughout Trotskyism is railing against Stalin. Um, yeah, stay far away from Trotskyism as Marxist-Leninists. I mean, it's, it's implied we are um, against Trotskyism. They just, I, you know, I've known Trotskyists in real life. Uh, just stay away from them. That's the best I can really say. Yeah, and they do tend to hide their worst takes. Like, they can have some better... I saw um, something on the Russia-Ukraine war that I could have written myself. I, like, I really agreed with that. But then you dig into all their theories about how socialism actually works and socialist construction and etc. And it's like everything Stalin did was wrong. That's just not correct. And so if they ever got power, this is the kind of stuff they would do. So that's it's not the current event stuff. They're very good at running their newspapers. It's other stuff that you have to be concerned about with Trotskyism. I feel you on career path stuff. I was so dead set on becoming an animator and my actual work history is anything uh, but, and it's also been a very traumatic experience. Sorry to hear that. Um, it's not easy right now. It's not easy at all. Like, I'm, yeah, I've been doing a couple of things um, to try to make up for the thing I wasn't able to do. I thought, I mean, there was somewhat satisfying, like a little bit, but it only checked maybe two out of like 10 or like, you know, it, it checked a minority of the boxes that I was actually trying to check by doing the original thing I was trying to do. I got some satisfaction out of it and I don't know, I'm trying to figure out what else to do because I don't want to keep wasting money on stuff, but also feel like I haven't really hit the goals I was trying to reach. Okay, thank you for the reply. This was the person talking about authoritarianism. I think all forms of governance are inherently so. Yeah, and the thing is, like, contrary to what anarchists will tell you, it's also required for human society to run at the stage of development, class society. Um, I was reading The Road to Serfdom, uh, libertarian shit, and it reminded me of the dominant mode of rule. Do you think that Hayek's work can be assigned to the dangers of capitalism? So Hayek was a capitalist. I mean, libertarianism is capitalism. They are just trying to represent the current system to you with idealist dressing on top. Do not believe a word that libertarians tell you. Um, it's crypto-fascism.
Yeah, not just Bidenomics. We're the asshole. We're the assholes for pointing it out. If you ask your average communist podcaster. Yeah, computer read audiobooks are pretty hard to listen to. Like they're better than nothing, but pretty hard to listen to. Got an endorsement for Finball's history of the CPSUB read. I didn't like Reds. It turns very liberal at the end. You can really see the Trotskyist influence. Good to know. Oh, somebody knew the Muppet eating reference. There you go. Yeah. Underrated show. Yemen's really stepping up by actually blocking Israeli ships. Didn't know they have a communist history. Can't wait to learn more about it. Um, so there is, the U.S. just announced that it will be doing, what is this thing called? Operation Prosperity Guardian. Not really um, masking it too much. This is like when the invasion of Iraq was um, termed Operation Iraqi Liberation until people pointed out that the acronym is OIL. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, apparently I've heard some criticisms that the Houthi forces are using outdated intel and attacking some of the wrong ships. But in any case, um, the U.S. is getting involved with that now. Always a force for, for evil in the world, more or less, these days. Oh, somebody's saying about COVID, don't take those charts too seriously about risk. I caught it from a one-minute interaction with a delivery driver. Well, yeah, so there's always a risk, and literally one viral particle is enough to cause an infection. So don't take that, don't take lower risk to mean no risk, or even no practical risk, right? So even at low risk, you can still be very likely to catch it. It's just that relative to other things where you're definitely going to catch it, it's comparatively low. That, that's all that means, yeah. Oh God, not Jim Jam. Yeah, we got into the Jimmy door today. We sure, sure did. God, he got awful. And his wife is right there along with him. It's awful. It's just so cringeworthy. And it's just so shameful. Like, I know these people, they're not geniuses, but I know that what... They know what they're doing is wrong with Tucker Carlson and all this shit, the anti-immigration. Like, it's just Nazi stuff. They know goddamn well. Because if you go back... And you listen to Jimmy Dore criticizing the Trump rallies in 2016 and 2015. He knew then what he was talking about. What did he forget? No. He is going for the money. That's what he's doing. I mask up while the curbside groceries get loaded into the hatchback and don't take it off until I vented the cabin. I was starting to think I was overdoing it until someone wet coughed into the car. And I was so glad I was. Yeah, I just... Um, went shopping the other day there were like five or six people and i go when there's very few people and there were still five or six people coughing fucking openly into the air i was like have these people not learned a goddamn thing apparently not reminiscing back to when jimmy Dore was on tyt and was the only one defending castro in the cuban revolution like you know he knows better than than what he's doing I remember that prick David Icke when he was a minor sports commentator on the BBC in the late 70s. He suddenly went weird in the late 80s and then really went off the rails in the 90s. 
Yeah, he was like one of the main like conspiracy people. Dorr supports RFK Jr. I mean, typical libertarian who is against Medicare for all. He doesn't believe in anything. Yeah, there used to be Dorr's like one criterion, the litmus test. And yeah, as for Jimmy Dorr, fuck that grifter. He seemed okay at first, but there was always something about him that was weird. Same with Maupin before his mask slipped. I mean, Dorr always had that kind of sleazy nightclub comedian vibe, no doubt. Like, not the kind of person I'd want to look to for life advice. But, um, you know, on the political end, he, he did uphold some better topics within U.S. politics. And then, you know, that libertarian money started getting waved in front of his face, I guess. How do you solve the ethnic issues you mentioned? Um... I mean, go ahead and read uh, any of Lenin's or Stalin's writings on the national question. There's some pretty major works. Just go to YouTube.com. It's right there on the screen. YouTube.com slash Socialism for All or at Socialism for All. And um, just type in national question. You should find some stuff there. The lizard people, Satanism and eating babies type stuff. David Icke type stuff, and Alex Jones type stuff. Like, Alex Jones doesn't go for the lizard people thing as much, but the, like, Satanism and eating babies. I mean, I find that stuff kind of hilarious to lampoon. And, um... You know, I mean, are there some creepy weirdos in that maybe some kind of government op that pretend to be those things? Like, maybe, but... You know, anyway... Um, it's there to divert the beginnings of people's class consciousness down a thought-terminating ter thought dead end or convert it to reaction in class collaboration. Yep. So I started out um, in the 2000s when there was the communist movement was like nil. But there was tons of libertarians and tons of conspiracy stuff. And for me, being involved in the anti-war movement, I wound up uh, involved with some of that because I just literally couldn't find anybody else to work with. Um, I've since, you know, self-criticized for that opportunism and I didn't like it at the time. And I was like, these people suck. And I was, you know, listening to like Patriot, like I've, I've listened to Alex Jones, although I was listening more to even people on the quote, like Patriot, right. Who criticized Alex Jones, like people who had some amount of more independence and like just general fucking sense than to like take Alex Jones at face value, uh, but still had bad politics. And it was just like, I desperately was looking for other stuff to listen to and I couldn't find it. And so I'd listen to some of that shit in like, you know, 06 or whatever. I just literally couldn't find anything else that because the liberals, like the Democrats and stuff, they just weren't putting up any fight. So trying to find critical voices, um, the sort of paleocons and libertarians were far outweighing them at the time. Uh, far outweighing the left at that time. And, um, you know, it was just crawling around on the back channels of the internet trying to find stuff. I wound up finding a lot of that. And it was just like some of the stuff, you know, it's like these Christian libertarians that are like men should be allowed to like beat their wives legally because God said so. And I'm just like, wow, you can really find anything on the internet, huh? And, you know, it claims to be like against the system and all this. And I, guess technically it is but for all of the wrong reasons and all of the worst ways <clears throat> i mean alex jones like he was full-throated for trump does that not set off any red flags for you but yeah anyway the lizard people satanism and eating babies type stuff is there to divert 
the beginnings of people's class consciousness down a thought-terminating dead end, or convert it to reaction and class collaboration. I mean, you look at some of these things like like Red Ice. I forget the name of it. Like that was getting going when I when I was there, and it's just fascist. Red Ice. I forget what it was. Red Ice Radio, or something like that. Uh, if anybody remembers Alan Watt, sort of like anarcho primitivist, sort of not really. It's just all the stuff that leads you absolutely fucking nowhere, nowhere, total dead end. Exactly like you said. Just a complete fucking dead end. Or it just leads you back into the same... Like, it either leads you into complete isolation, or it leads you back into the system that you were trying to get away from in the first place. Like, when you realize, for example, that libertarianism is just neoliberalism with some idealist dressing on top, you realize you just went in a fucking circle. In capitalism, there's always something around the corner. There's no end game. It's just about growth. Yeah, more. And then it comes crashing down. Yeah, and Marx and Engels were describing this like 175 years ago. Boom and bust. The built-in over uh, overproduction crises of capitalism. Yes, John Campbell. That is the shitty doctor that started out doing COVID news and then became like rabidly anti-vax and a guest on the Jimmy Dore show, I might add. Oh, there's a lot of chat. I guess that happens. This would be the time I'd start thinking about wrapping it up, but I'd try to get through more of the chat. People opposed COVID restrictions on the basis of, quote, freedom. And yeah, I see somebody else mentioning Russell Brand. I did some videos about Russell Brand. Bourgeois anti-authoritarianism is meaningless. Yeah, because the only, um, I mean, what libertarians are about, they're about freedom for capital. You know, they want... um, yeah, bourgeois anti-authoritarianism is meaningless. They want the freedom to exploit. They want freedom within an extremely narrow bourgeois sense. And and even then, you know, um, bourgeois law claims that it's uh, on an equal basis and it's the same law for all the people. In reality, we know law is a rich person's game for the most part. And um, even if... I mean, many judges are just straight up racist or whatever else, but, uh, you know, it's usually not applied evenly. And Lenin pointed out that as communists, we should always um, put our, getting to that point in the stream where I'm starting to lose my momentum, um, we should always put our outcry for civil rights, for equal rights, but these are things that really can't be completed in full until after the proletarian revolution and the construction of socialism. But yeah, that was the thing. It was like, oh, freedom, freedom. What, freedom to catch a disease? What the hell are you talking about? Nope, and if you keep promoting Trotskyism in the chat, PW, uh, you're not going to be in the chat. No, I don't think it's, quote, a bit weak. Trotskyists fucking suck, and I just don't feel like going into it. So I literally just had... Uh, I had to ban um, a... Oh, are you the same asshole that I was just DMing with? I think you are. Let me just say, maybe it's not a coincidence. Are you still... Are you the same person that I just blocked on Patreon? Uh, Because do I think that the take is a bit weak? No, I think Trotskyists trying to sell Trotskyism is a bit weak. That's what I think is a bit weak. I had to um, ban my second patron ever 
this week because I didn't talk to this person before. I didn't know anything about them. They paid $2 to become a uh, paid member. And then they sent me like pages and pages in the DMs explaining how good Trotskyism is and how great their organizations are. I'll bet you're the same person. But anyway, um, if not, it just reflects that that poorly on Trotskyists. <laughs> They're all fucking like that. But anyway, they were just sending me pages and pages about how good Trotskyism is and how good Trotskyist organizations are. And we're all in this together and we can just put the Stalin stuff behind us. I'm sorry, Trotskyists are like single-handedly responsible for um, most of the hysteria about, quote, Stalinism, a.k.a. Marxism-Leninism, um, around. And no, I'm not a Trotskyist. I never will be. That's implied in Marxism-Leninism, which is anti-Trotskyist. The errors of Trotsky were pointed out by Lenin many times. And um, no, this is not something we're going to do here. So before you start getting it in your head that you're going to start hounding me about Trotskyism, you can fuck all the way off. All right? I have a question about the dictatorship of the proletariat. After the revolution, bourgeois elements have their property expropriated. Surely this would be completed in the course of a few years, right? It depends on the situation. I understand class struggle is an ongoing process, but once the proletariat have taken power, why would they allow any bourgeois to remain? Well, they don't just like, I mean, contrary to what capitalists say, they don't just massacre them all. The people are still around and they're going to be looking for those investment opportunities again. If they can get their hands on some collectivized property and then abuse it for profit, they will do that. Um, or is it more of a keeping foreign capitalists under control within the country? Well, there's a threat. And so you should go listen to the two Mao texts that I just posted because this is explained in there specifically. Um, but there's a threat of capitalist restoration from inside the country and there's a threat of capitalist restoration from outside the country. There's both. And it depends on the situation. Like in the USSR, the capitalism wasn't well developed. So they did the NEP and they allowed some capitalism for some amount of time. Lenin thought this was going to have to go on for maybe a few decades. It actually only went on for less than a decade uh, before, under Stalin, they started collectivizing more heavily, more rapidly. But it depends on the level of development. Now, in a lot of countries, yes, you could nationalize and collectivize, like today in 2023, uh, much more quickly. But, you know, this process of, of eliminating the traces of capitalist thought and bourgeois ideology from your new socialist society is not necessarily quick and easy. So anyway, hopefully that answers the question. I would definitely point you to especially the first part of um, on Khrushchev's phony communism by Mao. Trots lead people the wrong way from the start. So yeah, I think they need to be avoided outright. Is S4A the only Marxist who believes that the U.S. did 9-11 themselves? No, I mean, I definitely talked to people through the channel that also think there is ample evidence of that. Operation Money God. That will be pretty much like the U.S. When when the uh, the U.S. Uh, starts the, the final push to defend capitalism from world revolution, as the revolutionary forces enclose around the U.S., they will launch Operation Money God, absolutely. Bad Empanada has been acting the dick lately. I mean, that's pretty much 
par for the course. I've never really known him not to. Sad to see, but like Doran and others, he's always had a sneery edge to him. Uh, he's awful. He's awful. Uh, there was one time he was getting ratioed super hard because he made a terrible post about homelessness. And um, I was one of the people that pointed out, this is a terrible post, don't do this. And he spent the next few hours like trying to come after me. It was like psychotic. I mean, it was like really, really disturbed behavior. And uh, so, no, he's just like that. Fucking you. I've literally forgot that guy. I have not thought about that guy in quite a while, actually. So, yeah. I don't think people want to learn or identify their mistakes these days except communists and just do their own life. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there is a higher standard of critical thinking here, at least when it comes to social issues. My favorite Alex Jones thing is when he pretended to be chased by the CIA in like 2007. I missed that one. I told my coworker not to sneeze in her hand and cough in the air. I told her she should do it into her sleeve. Yeah, the Dracula method, vampire cough. She said it's her germs and no one is going around her desk. Does she know what air is? Because that's wild. She does also think everyone in the DPRK has the <laughs> Kim's haircut. So, I mean, regardless of her views on the DPRK, that is elementary. Like you people learn in kindergarten not to do that. That you get a lot more watchers than a lot of content-brained leftist streams and refuse to go affiliate is actually super heartwarming. Yes, we can do this thing differently. You do not have to just go in for the drama. You do not just have to go in for just the bullshit. It does not need to happen. Oh, you're saying Bill Haywood. That was the IWW guy. I think you mean Bill Hicks. And yeah, he definitely... Uh, Hicks had his issues, but he... Um, got Alex Jones pretty good. Red Ice TV. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah, Red Ice Radio. It leads nowhere. False predictions. Euro Alex Jones. They're still going and they're just full-on fascist from what I saw. The grand conspiracy narrative leads nowhere. It's amazing how much Marxism helps you really think about what you believe is based in reality. Yeah, I mean, the grand conspiracy thing, actually, for me, looking at grand conspiracy stuff, I was just like, it's just capitalism. Like, capitalism is the grand conspiracy of a small group of less than 1% of the population to oppress and exploit everybody else for money and power. Like, that literally, you, you can't get much more sort of devilish than that. And Like, whatever other, fun, you know, satanic stuff that they come up with. Like, they run wars, they do slavery, they do genocides. And the thing is, these libertarians, like, they'll tell you the same thing, except they blame it on, like, socialists. No, it's not socialists. <laughs> the people who run the United States are definitely not fucking socialists. But that's what all this comes down to in the end. And it is basically rehashed, warmed-over Nazi stuff. Because the Nazis did the same stuff. Actually, that was one of the things I learned from looking at conspiracy stuff, was I started realizing... This is literally old, um, like, Nazi and Italian fascist theory from, like, the 1930s. It's the same exact stuff. So, yeah. Oh, 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 you're talking about Bill Cooper. I thought you meant Bill Hicks, who also had um, made fun of Alex Jones. 
Oh yeah, Bill Cooper was the uh, Mystery Babylon guy. Yeah, I didn't know he even commented on Alex Jones. I thought he was like, well, I know he was older, but I thought he was active before Alex Jones, but interesting. Okay. Oh yeah, as far as Trotskyism, there also seems to be something of a trot to neocon pipeline. Yeah, someday I'm going to have to do, let me make a note, trot to neocon pipeline. Someday I'm going to have to do more of a video on that. I don't know if anybody's done that, but yes, there is like a long tradition of Trotskyists in the U.S. in particular becoming weird right-wingers, Lyndon LaRouche being one of them. Um, yeah. By the way, I sent you an article about how Red Fightback was destroyed. I don't know if it was the same article, but I definitely did read an article about the destruction of Red Fightback in one of the later streams. Like I want to say it was earlier this year, back in the spring maybe. And it turns out one of the biggest abusers in that org was a trot. They sent a smug Trotsky meme after their actions that helped destroy the party. So that sounds like almost deliberate um, sabotage by a Trotskyist of, of that group. Yeah, just honestly, the, um, the, the, um, you don't want any part of Trotskyism, okay? One of my first, and I've said this before, and I'm getting tired of saying it, but one of my first encounters with real-life, quote, Marxists was a Trotskyist group. They literally turned me off to Marxism for years. I might have become a communist, like, at least a decade earlier, if not for the Trotskyists I met, who just, I would never in a million years uh, want to work with a group like that. If Alex Jones was being chased by the CIA, it's because he forgot his paycheck at the desk, and dude legit was across the hall from Stratfor in Austin, the Israeli intelligence firm. I mean, Alex Jones, now that I'm thinking about Alex Jones, didn't he say his dad worked for the CIA? Like, his dad was a dentist, and he exclusively worked on, like, CIA guys or something like that. Putting in the little radio transmitters in their teeth, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, talk about, like, just sketchy as hell. Yeah, Atrotsky is talking about division. Priceless. Alright, we are closing in on the end of the chat here, so. I will ne never get the hours back of my life that I spent on conspiracy stuff in my late teens and embarrassingly into my 20s. I mean, again, you know, like I said, I was very anti-war in the 2000s when the U.S. was doing the whole war on terror thing, and I was reading everything I could about it, some of which was decidedly better than others, and then you stumble onto this weird current of, like, the underground, you know, I, I mean, as I would call it today, the underground fascist and crypto-fascist current, but I, I didn't know enough about politics at that time to understand that, and wound up being like, what are these people talking about? And um, that definitely informs my anti-fascism today, you know, was getting nose to nose with it before realizing, oh, hey, this is fascist. Fuck. So definitely went through that. Um, no, I don't know anything about Finnish Bolsheviks party or anything. I saw somebody on Twitter was trying to say he was like, marching with nazis from what i little i do know about him just through his channel that seems highly unlikely but i don't know <laughs> the silver dollars in my sock drawer are a constant reminder 
of who you listen to. Meaning you bought silver when you were listening to the conspiracy people back in the in those times. Because they're, they're always about the like gold and silver, precious metals. Now it's Bitcoin, but Bitcoin didn't exist at one point. Politics hasn't changed for like 150 plus years. It's crazy. I mean, that's because like capitalism has become more consolidated and become imperialism. But the basic class interests are the same. And politics is the concentrated essence of the class um, interest expressed in the economy. But yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, I read the book a while, I mean, way before I was doing this channel. I read the book by Sinclair Lewis, It Can't Happen Here, which is about a fascist takeover in the U.S. And I was like, I read it in a span of a few days. I was just plowing through it because I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is exactly the same thing as is happening now. And it was from the 1930s. Because capitalism is still basically the same. All conspiracies lead down to one Nazi conclusion. Yeah, it's like you either understand capitalism or you get into the game of like which group is, quote, at the top of the pyramid. You know, is it the Jews? Is it the like Jesuits? Whatever. That's like what. So we have a video on the whole conspiracy topic. It's called How to Overthrow the Illuminati. It's up on the channel. And it's about coming from a Marxist perspective, talking about why the conspiracy stuff is partially correct, but completely misleading in where it takes you. Sadly, Trotskyism is rife here in the UK. It's a large part of why the British, quote, left is such a cringeworthy joke. Yes, I'm aware of that. And I may have it here. A patron actually sent this in. I did a community post about it a while ago. And let me see. So, yeah, I think I may have covered this in the streams before, but this is a chart um, from 1950 to 2017. The number of British Trotskyist groups and fourth Trotskyist internationals. So if you're brand new, the third international was the Communist International set up by Lenin and the Bolsheviks. Prior to that was the second Socialist International, which... Um, was opportunist and wound up endorsing World War One. The third international, the Comintern, was set up as an alternative to that afterwards. Um, and then the first one was the one that Marx and Engels were involved with. But anyway, so the fourth international was set up by Trotskyists as an alternative to the third international, the Comintern, uh, because they opposed, quote, Stalin. And also Trotsky was basically in exile at that point. And so they had to do their own thing. But you can see on this chart from 1950 and on, um, at one point, I guess up to the 90s, there were more British Trotskyist groups than there were fourth internationals of parties. But then since the 90s, basically been uh, more fourth internationals than parties, <laughs> which is pretty sad because um, I got to think those are not well populated uh, internationals. But Trotskyists splitting, that's how it works. Trots do the liberal thing where they pretend they're correct because they try to hold the moral high ground while having the absolute worst takes. I don't know if it's just me, but I've been seeing some bot viewers on other live streamer channels. Um, okay, so I'll ban those. We are caught up with the chat. So, uh, thanks to everybody for being here today. We hit, I think, just about the right length of time. 
And uh, again, thanks to the Patreon.com supporters and the BuyMeACoffee.com supporters. Patreon.com slash Socialism for All and BuyMeACoffee.com slash Socialism for All for one-time or recurring donations. Um, and again, thanks. We had a lot of people in the chat today. I hope that um, everybody has a reasonably stress-free next couple of weeks. This end-of-year holiday period can be really stressful for a lot of people. It's one of the reasons I felt initially like I might need a break today. One of the reasons I did it, I knew it would be good for us all to just have some time to come together, hang out, and chat. Uh, but hang in there, and we will be back soon with another stream.